Hello and welcome to WGTC Radio, the official podcast of entertainment website We Got This Covered. I'm Jonathan Lack. And I am Sean Chapman. And we're back after another two-week break. Sorry about that. The podcast is not intentionally becoming bi-weekly. Yes. Just been a weird month. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll hopefully be weekly again. The, the easy thing is that school's starting and school actually gives us more structure to record the podcast. Yeah, and, so. and stuff is happening again soon. So. Oh, yeah. Next week is Gamescom, so we will definitely have... Or this week, I should say, is Gamescom. Yeah, yeah. But next week, our next podcast, we will obviously talk about that. We'll probably find out when the PS4 is coming out. Yeah, maybe more. the Xbox One. Yeah. So, there will be a lot to talk about, and, and for the rest of the year, hopefully, there will be a lot to talk about. I know November is kind of crazy because I want to devote November to all these Doctor Who retrospective episodes I have planned because it's the 50th anniversary, but November is also when new consoles are launching. Yeah, and, and like every game under the sun is coming out. And a bunch of movies. Yeah. So, so. yeah. Um, November, we are going to be doing five podcasts a week. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It yeah. will become a daily podcast. Yes. We'll become like the Daily Show, but for random game movie stuff. Yeah, we'll be like the Daily Show, only shitty. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and not on TV. Like, there's just be, there will be no relation between our show and The Daily Show. No, none so, at no, any point. No one so ever. All right, but on the agenda this week, uh, you may remember that Sean and I love this uh, obscure little JRPG series called Persona. Yeah, yeah, it comes up every now and then, I think. Yeah. So, a couple, like last year, at the end of the year, Sean talked about Persona 4, which he had discovered. Yes, was my zeroth best secret game of the year. Yes, which that he, came out in 2008, actually, yeah. but... He, he discovered it in 2012, though. Then I discovered it because I got a Vita and played Golden. And Sean... Well, you, didn't, you didn't discover it. I told you about right, it. Right. He told me about it. And on I, the podcast. And I learned how much I loved it playing yes. it, Golden. And Sean would watch over my shoulder and be like, ah, oh, fuck, I need to buy a Vita. Yeah. And then he bought a Vita and played Golden. And then we did a big podcast about Persona 4. It was literally two podcasts. It was like seven hours long. We talked about Persona 4, the Golden. Yeah. You can go listen to that if you've played the game. Lots of discussion about a great game there. So hopefully that's fun. Then, last month, we did our top 10 favorite video games of all time yes and Sean's number one was Persona 3 and my number one was Persona 4 and I said I hadn't finished Persona 3 yet but I really wanted to so we could talk about it in greater depth yes alright so we're all up to speed today we're going to talk I have, I have no idea what we're talking about anymore what's Persona? <laughs> Persona is a offshoot okay, of let's okay. not get into that that's that is a long discussion what the fuck Persona is. Right. So, today, our main topic will be we are going to break down Persona 3. We're going to have a big discussion about that game. Probably the greatest thing ever made. Yes. So, a lot to talk about there. If you haven't played Persona 3, don't worry. The first half hour, hour of this podcast, we're going to talk about some other stuff. You can listen to that. Then you can pause the podcast, go play Persona 3, however you want to play it. <laughs> so yeah, pause the podcast while it takes you all like 100 hours to play Persona 3. Yeah. Then come back. And then listen to our Persona 3 discussion. Exactly. All right? The podcast might be paused for a couple of months, but... Yes. It'll be fine. Uh, you could also just save the podcast. No, you then... have to pause it. Like, hopefully your computer never, like, reboots or something, so... Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, hopefully this podcast will be on the internet long enough for you to finish Persona <laughs> yeah. 3. Okay. Yeah. Now that we've gotten the disclaimers out of the way. Yes. So, other stuff to talk about. There's a little bit of video game news, a couple of stories. We've got some movies to talk about. Um, some TV movie news, so let's just get into it. First, I want to talk about. Uh, I've been, you know, buying some games recently, just stocking up on some stuff to play until the new consoles come out. And uh, what games have you been buying, Jonathan? <laughs> just some random stuff. Like I got Persona Four Arena because I need to play that now that I finished Persona Three you mean and Persona 4. Four, the Ultimate in Mayonaka Arena. Yes, and I love that the opening of that game says Persona Four, the Ultimate in Mayonaka Arena. Yeah, 
For those who don't know, that's the Japanese title for the fighting game sequel to Persona 4, Persona 4 Arena. Yes, so I, I got that. I got some other things. Um, the, the Last of Us, which I had borrowed from Sean. Going to finally play multiplayer on that and stuff. But one of the other games that has been on my list of games this year I want to catch up on is the Tomb Raider reboot yeah. by Square Enix. Looks really good. I wanted to play it. Um, I was thinking I might just rent it or something because I didn't know if it was a game I wanted to own. But I wound up buying the game... I shit you not, for $1.08 at Target. The $0.08 part is the best part of the whole story. So here's the thing. If you've ever bought a game at Target, I'm sorry, because that's that's a terrible experience. Buying a game at Target is like doing a back alley drug deal. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Because you go in there, and they don't know shit about those games. They're just kind of randomly arranged. They're all in the glass cases. So yeah. someone has to go, like, get a key, pull it out. And I'm like, if you have anything else to buy, like, I'd like to buy these oranges or something. You've gotta, they've got to bring it up to the register with you. And only once money has exchanged hands do you get to enjoy your game. Yeah. It's really fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Target had a promotion going on this week where... This is the other thing. Their pre-order system, I love how all the big box stores are trying to figure out how to compete with Amazon because Amazon pre-orders are really awesome and easy. You click your button and then you know on that day my game will be coming. Mm -hmm. It's the easiest thing in the world. That's the only way pre-orders make sense is on Amazon because you just buy it so you know you don't have to worry about it again, right? Yeah. And that your pre-order price will be guaranteed and stuff. Well, everyone else has their different, like, cards and bonuses and stuff, and it's really skeevy. Targets is super skeevy. You go buy this, like, little card that says Grand Theft Auto V on it. You pay a dollar. Then you can come back on the day Grand Theft Auto V comes out, give them the card back, pay full price. You don't get your dollar back. But they will also give you a $5 Target gift card. <laughs> it makes no sense. But they had a promotion where if you bought one of their pre-order cards for, like, GTA V, Batman Arkham Origins, whatever, you got 20 bucks off one of four games. And one of those games was Tomb Raider. So, the other thing that Target has is price matching. Yeah. And they have price matching to Amazon. And I don't know why they do this, because they obviously can't compete with Amazon's prices. Yeah. So you can always price match to Amazon at Target and get stuff for fucking cheap if you want. So, they Amazon that same day had Tomb Raider for $20. <laughs> so I went in, I get Tomb Raider, and I this is the best part. This is the best part. I didn't just grab Tomb Raider. I went in and all their game aisles were completely empty. Completely. All they had out were the pre-order cards. So I find someone, like the one employee who works at Target, because yeah. Target is just like a fucking barren wasteland during the day. And, and I'm like, um, do you have any PlayStation games? And he's like, oh, all our games are in the back. And I'm like, why are all your games in the back? And he's like, well, we're rearranging them. <laughs> like, okay, do you think you could go back there and find Tomb Raider for me? And he's like, I guess. We just dumped them all in carts. <laughs> <laughs> That was the best part. I'm like, well, you should probably be able to find I it. Would, I would love if this story ended with him bringing you Tomb Raider for the PlayStation 1, because you, you apparently you asked him, <laughs> do you have any PlayStation games? And then you asked him for Tomb Raider? Yeah. And that's just what he brought out. It's what right. you asked for. Yeah, PlayStation I, Tomb Raider. Yes. It's funny, because I, I just asked that because I was getting it for the PlayStation 3. Yes. And anyway, so he brings it out. He, he does get the game, luckily. The back of the case is all dented in, but I'm like, I'm not going to complain, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, so I'm like, all right, I need to do a price match. And he's like, oh, all right, I got to bring this over to customer service. So brings it over to customer service. She does the price match. It's 20. And she's like, all right, anything else? And I'm like, well, you also have this promotion in your ad this week. And I bring out the, the pre-order card. And I'm like, I get that for 20 bucks off. And she's like, really? And she scans it all. It just does it automatically. And she's like, huh, you just got that game for free. <laughs> and like, she's like, that's a pretty good deal. And I'm like, yeah, it is. I'm going to get out of here as fast as I can before you guys realize how good a deal this is. Yeah, yeah. So I get my game, pay my $1.08. 
Um, throw the pre-order card away because I'm never going to use it. It was for Arkham Origins, which I already have pre-ordered on Amazon. I'm not going to go buy it from Target. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that's how I got Tomb Raider for $1. Well, congratulations. I, I hope you enjoy it. Yes. I think that promotion is also good for another couple of games. So if you hear this podcast, you might want to look into that if there's another game you would like to get for a buck or something. Price match with Amazon. Yeah. Anywho, so... <laughs> yeah, so I have not played Tomb Raider yet. Hopefully I can no. talk about that at some point. But yeah, it seemed, seemed pretty cool. It is definitely yeah. a game I, I've been curious about. I have not ended up playing. Yeah, and it's funny. Again, my plan was I would just go like get it from Redbox and play it in a day. That would have cost me $2. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so what have you got to talk about, Sean? Let's, okay. let's do a little bit of video game... You talk about what games you've played first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've got I've got a, a handful of games to talk about kind of briefly here. I think I'm going to start off with a game. I've, I have been playing Assassin's Creed 3. And for those intrepid listeners of the podcast, may remember that it's on some episode. I don't even remember what the fuck we were talking about. I don't remember why I was talking about Assassin's Creed. I went through my rant about the Assassin's Creed franchise because I really like the franchise. I think Assassin's Creed 2 is one of my favorite games of the past, like, seven years. But... The franchise pisses me off in a lot of different ways, and if you want to know, go back, find whatever episode that is. Like, Assassin's Creed 1, I fucking hate that goddamn game. And Assassin's Creed 3, okay, like, the the biggest part of the story about why I had not played Assassin's Creed 3 yet, because I had been really excited for it before it came out, was that I played Assassin's Creed Revelations, which was the, the what, like, the fourth game in this franchise? Because, yeah, because Assassin's Creed 3 is the fifth Assassin's Creed game. That makes fucking sense. But I played Assassin's Creed Revelations, got like 19 hours or whatever it is into that game, experienced a catastrophic glitch that randomly put my game at the very beginning, literally just like left a mission, the game loaded up the opening cutscene, the very first thing you see when you start the game, and the game immediately autosaved, overriding the only save file that you're allowed to have. And so my, my, my file for Assassin's Creed Revelations is forever sitting at... 1% complete and 19 hours played, if you just look at the profile. So, and I kind of got really pissed off about that, because I That's was, an understatement? Yeah, because I was enjoying that game. I put a huge amount of time into it, because I had done all the side shit, too. Because it's like, I, when I play an Assassin's... When I play most games nowadays, like I tend to just do everything there is in the game. And so, it completely fucked me. But for like certain circumstances, I ended up being able to see the ending of Assassin's Creed Revelations played before my eyes because I was was at with someone and they were playing it, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is the end of the game!" I saw the end of the game, and then quickly soon after that, Xbox Live had a sale about like with a bunch of different titles, and I picked up a few different things, and one of them was Assassin's Creed Three for like ten or fifteen bucks, and I was like, "Well, I saw the end for Revelations." The ending was basically what I expected the end for Revelations to be, but whatever. Like, it wasn't a great ending, but it was kind of interesting, and I want to play Assassin's Creed 3, even though some people on the internet did not like it. So I picked it up because it was super cheap, and I've been playing it. And Assassin's Creed 3, there's just a couple of things to say about it. One is that it is the best playing Assassin's Creed title by far, in terms of how it controls, particularly the combat, way better than the combat has ever been. And the, the ship stuff, because they're, like, sort of side naval missions. I've only done a few of them, because you, like, don't unlock them until kind of a bit into the game. But those are really, really fucking cool. And so that makes me really excited for the next one. Because, you know, for those who don't know, the next Assassin's Creed game, Assassin's Creed 4, the sixth Assassin's Creed game, Black, Fl- Black Flag, is pirates. So there's going to be lots of ship-based combat in that and. I'm actually excited yeah. to play that one. Yeah, yeah, the naval combat's really cool, particularly, like, the camera. Like, you have your character is at the helm, you know, with, like, the big fucking ship wheel. 
and the camera is like right behind him and that's such a cool perspective to play from because I've played a couple of like Sid Meier's Pirates and stuff that has sort of ship based combat but it's always sort of like the camera's really pulled far back and stuff this is like you're like right in on the boat it's really cool the other thing about Assassin's Creed 3 is that I completely 100% understand why a bunch of people really fucking hate this game because this game does not you don't put on the assassin's hoods like you don't start the game proper until like five or six hours in Jesus Christ it takes fucking forever like just it takes so long for the game to just fucking start because you start off playing the game like this has gotten around a lot of like you 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 know the main character you play as is Connor who's this Native American like like half Native American half like English whatever you know, whatever, like, like crazy bloodline it is that, like, it went from, like, Arabia to Italy to England, the, now to, to Connor, to eventually be Desmond, since, you know, you, like, experience the history of all these characters through the anime sci-fi bullshit. But yeah, like, like, you play as Connor, this half-Native American character, for most of the game, but you start off for, like, the first three hours playing as his father, Haytham, which has, like, a really dumb twist that is super obvious... I'm not going to spoil what it. What is it? I'm not going to spoil it for, I don't know, if people want to play this game. But I don't yeah. want to play it. Tell me. So, like, they, you know, it's the whole Assassin's Creed franchise is set up where it's, like, the Assassins versus the Templars. Only that's not really important because, actually, it's all about there's this ancient civilization that is the ancient civilization from every sci-fi thing that, like, died mysteriously. And it's, like, there's just some fragments of their civilization left. But, like, we've discovered, oh, like, what killed them is, like, a massive, like, a solar maximum that ejected solar material from the sun onto our planet and just fucked us. And that's going to happen again, so we have to stop that. And that shit has nothing to do with the Assassins and Templars, which is what, one of the many shitty things about the, the stories in these games. But, but the, in terms of, like, the past stuff, it's all about the Assassins fighting the Templars. And they, you, when you're playing as Haytham, you're supposed to assume that Haytham's an assassin, because... Of course, he's oh, but he's assassin, a Templar. But he's actually a Templar, and it's super obvious because throughout, like, you play as him for like three hours. You have a bunch of missions as him, and he and you're like recruit. You move to the new world. You're recruiting all these people, and it's like, but they never say the word assassin. They always refer to it as the Order, and it's like, well, he's a Templar. Like, it's so obvious because they so tiptoe, tiptoe around saying assassin that's like, of course, he's not an assassin. And so then you play as Connor, and now I have to go kill Papa Hatham, but. Yeah, like, that game just, it takes forever to start. But once it does start up, you know, like, I really like the setting. That's, like, there aren't any other games set in the Revolutionary War, you know. The the combat's really fun. That That's, like, the, the like, I'm still not, you know, I've played the game for probably, like, six hours now, and, and the Revolutionary War has not started yet. It's 1775, so we're, like, almost there. You know, George Washington has just been appointed Commander-in-Chief of the Army, but we haven't declared our independence. But, yeah, it's it's a cool game. And then if you can get it for cheap, like, yeah, like, I'd, I'm probably not going to end up doing absolutely everything in this game, because the other part of that kind of sucks is it feels like all the side stuff is doesn't mesh as well. Like, it, it doesn't, like, feel like the game really incentivizes you to, like, take advantage of all the hunting missions and stuff in the way the older games did, but... Do you think this one lives up to two, or is it still lesser than that? I think it's... It's probably, even though it plays better, I'd probably say it's still a worse game. Like, I haven't finished it yet, obviously. But I'd still say it's probably a worse game than 2, just because Assassin's Creed 3 has just awful pacing. And yeah. that's, that's its biggest flaw, is its pacing sucks. But, you know, like, I, I certainly don't think it's a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. It's probably, I'd probably say it's actually better than Revelations. But, and that's even ignoring that Revelations just completely fucked me. Yeah. 
So yeah, Assassin's Creed 3. Now what if Assassin's Creed 3 fucks you also? Will you finally be done with the franchise if it does the same thing? I want to say, like, I, I said I was done with the franchise before. And this is why, I, and I'm pretty sure I said this when I when I did that podcast of, like, I said I'm not going to do it. But I know, I know whatever happens, I will somehow get drawn back into the franchise. Because I've given up on it multiple times. Yeah. And and somehow, I'm, I I'm gonna, still keep on wanting to play it. So. Yeah, I'm going to pick it up with 4. Because there's too many games now in the backlog that I feel like I don't yeah. want to start at the beginning. But uh, four will be out. Yeah, on, like, you, def- you don't want to start at the beginning. No. Trust me, God, fucking Assassin's Creed One. But you know, Assassin's Creed Four will be out on the PlayStation Four. It'll probably yeah. be a cool use of you know. It'll be fun to play on the next gen yeah. console. So. And I don't know. I don't know how the story ends. Obviously, in three, but I I have a feeling that probably four is going to be a good place to pick up because I it feels like three is building to some sort of conclusion for like these first the. Trilogy of five games, Assassin's Creed one, two. It's, they're doing two the Douglas Adams thing. Three. It's yeah. a trilogy in five parts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, and then Assassin's Creed four, the dude you play as is the father of the father of the guy you play as in this game. So he's Hatham's papa. What the fuck? Exactly. I don't know. Like this is the way, it's the one entry in the franchise where you actually go backwards in time. So okay. Well, so cool. that probably means it's a good spot to pick up. I don't know. Yeah. Then go back and play three. Then two. Yeah, exactly. Like, like there you go. Okay. Which ones is Kristen Bell in? Uh, she's in one, two, in Brotherhood. Okay. Yeah. Fucking, this is a spoiler. Kristen Bell gets killed at the end of Brotherhood, and it's so dumb. <laughs> they fucking, they just waste that character so hard. She had so much potential, and it's just like, nope, fuck it. We're just gonna kill her. I have no, and I don't think it was because like Kristen Bell didn't want to do the games anymore either. Yeah. Like I've, I feel like I've read interviews with her where she's like, "No, I really like doing those. I don't know why they killed off my maybe maybe Kristen Bell's actually like secretly really hard to work with or something. I have no idea. She but... seems like she's one of the easiest people. Yeah, in the world I, to work I with. would think so too. But they yeah. just killed her. Ca- like it felt like it felt like when you're watching a TV show and a character gets killed off because the actor doesn't want to be on the TV show anymore. That's okay. what it feels like at the end of Brotherhood. Why they kill her character off? Okay. Well, she's got Kickstarter money now, Sean. She exactly. Doesn't, she doesn't need video games. Yeah, well, they're going to make that Veronica Mars video game. Yeah. Probably. Based they're going to kickstart it. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be a side-scrolling beat-em-up. <laughs> yeah, it'll, yeah, it'll probably be a retro or, side-scrolling beat-em-up. Or, this would actually be great, they get Rockstar to make it in the vein of L.A. Noir. <laughs> yes. They, they, we finally have another game that utilizes that technology... The face capture technology it that would, has not been used for anything else since. It would work for Veronica Mars. It would just be set at a high school yeah. now instead of, like, gritty L.A. settings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first <laughs> game I've played. Let's move on to... These are two indie games. And the first one is uh, Papers, Please. And I haven't actually finished this game yet, but for those who are not in the know, Papers, Please, it, it came out a while ago as a, like, demo version that I played. And then now, like, the official release just came out. And it is available on both PC and Mac. So, Jonathan, if you're interested, you can... Pick it awesome. Up. I think it's only like 10 bucks, and it's basically the premise of the game. It's really interesting. Is it's set in like the, it's set in the Cold War era, but you're like in this sort of like fictional version of the Eastern Bloc where you're working like you are the dude who like checks people's passports when they're trying to get into your fake like oppressive communist country. And so you like the whole gameplay is you're sort of sitting at this desk, and like people come up to you, they hand you their papers, and you have to check to see if there are any discrepancies, like oh your photo doesn't match, or this is out of date and stuff, and like either like give people entry into the country or deny them entry, and it's super super interesting because like it just you know no other game has that kind of setting and that kind of mechanic, 
and it just you also have like a family that you have to take care of so like every single person you process correctly you get a certain amount of money for and then like you get like two strikes or whatever but if you start processing people incorrectly they'll take money from you so you have this incentive to do everything right but there are certain instances where it's like if this person is like like this person has come up to me and said like hey hey like my wife is right behind me in line like here's my papers it's like okay you're good like just move through and then his wife comes up and it's like you don't even have an entry. you just have a passport you need an entry permit too you just don't even have an entry permit and she's like well I can't they would not give me one so it's like well I can either let this dude's wife through or fuck you bitch like get out of here I've got I've got people to process I've got a family to feed you're not my goddamn responsibility what are you doing coming up to here without the proper papers get the fuck out of here you're lucky I don't have the guards take you and beat you in the back because they like- give you because the guards give you extra money if you detain people because they get extra money if they detain people. So so this is a RPG with some big moral dilemmas, it sounds it's, like. It is, honestly, it is one of the most morally complex games I've ever played. Because it, like, gives you this intimate insight into how... The, into why bureaucracy is as fucked up as it is and why nobody can stop it is because you have no power to stop it. So it's like, even if you want to help these people in, like, in sort of, like, you know, like, do your one little part about, like, hey, like, this dude seems okay, like, I'm gonna let him through even though he doesn't have the right papers like he really needs to get in here or it's like this guy you know is smuggling medicine but like I'm supposed to just deny anyone who's smuggling anything so it's like you know you have all these complex responsibilities but it's like if I fuck this up like my family's not gonna get to feed be like get fed they're all gonna die like this is like I have my responsibilities to take care of these people are not my responsibility it's it's super interesting and I'm I'm looking forward to finishing it because it seems like there is also sort of like an overarching story. I think like people have said there are multiple endings. So yeah, nice. I, I just looked it up. It is nine ninety nine on Steam. Yeah. I will have to get that. Yeah, it is. It is really cool. And then I, I need a new game to play in biology class, listening to lectures. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and the craziest thing about Papers Please is that it has all that like moral complexity, but then like just the basic mechanic of like processing people's papers is really addicting and fun too, because it's just like. You know, like, like you have to just get through this process because you only have so much time to do it in a day. So it's like you want to move through as quickly as possible, but it's like you have to like check. It's like, oh, is the issuing city correct? Is the date of birth correct? Like, there's and every time, like every day, like new layers get added onto it. So it's just like it gets so much more complex where you like have to like find some way to just process these people super efficiently. It's really fun. Nice. So that's papers, please. And then the other indie game I have played, and then I've actually finished this. I just played it yesterday because it just came out yesterday, I believe. Uh, is uh, a game called Gone Home, which is the first game from this like new uh, indie company, Fulbright, which is made by a bunch of people. I think that worked on Bioshock Two, and uh, it's basically the premise of the game is you play as this girl Katie who has been you're like twenty something years old, and you were just like on this like year like trip around Europe, you know, like sort of a study abroad kind of thing. And you've just come home to your family, your your mom, dad, and younger sister, Sam. But when you arrive at the house, like, nobody's there. And there's this mysterious note on the door from Sam that says, like, Hey, I'm sorry, I'm not here. Don't try to find me, or whatever. And you're like, what the fuck happened? And you go into your house, and it kind of has this sort of haunted house vibe. And the whole game, it's sort of like an adventure game, where you just, it's all from the first person perspective. You just, like, look around and examine the environment to try to figure out what happened what's going on like why your family's not here and then while you're doing that occasionally you like get like journal messages read to you by sam and so you're sort of like piecing together this story and it's it's a really really interesting game like i definitely 100 percent 
recommend picking it up because the story's really interesting and like the, the your ability to piece it together and like it just like the there's so much attention to detail in the house and this one is also available on the Mac and the PC. It's just it's completely it's so exquisite. Like there's just so many little details. It's set in 1995, nice. so that's kind of cool. So like you'll just like run into like. Like, they have, like, these, like, VHS tapes that they've recorded with just, like, labels that's, like, X-Files Season 1, Episodes 1 through 4. There's, like, my favorite part is when you get into your parents' room and they have a TV in their room with a VCR. And then below that, they have a bunch of, like, movies on tape. And I just love, like, looking at, you can, like, tell which movie is, like, the dad's movie and which movie is the mom's movie. There'll be, like, a Pride and Prejudice and then, like... There'll be like Andromeda Strain or something. It's just like in the like the there's a lot of really great like handwriting, like high resolution captured handwriting on stuff that it's not like it's a font. It's like someone actually wrote like a letter or something and like they put that image into the game. It's really it's really really cool. Like the one thing I th- I think it's been it, like cause I, the reason I got it is because I like when it came out it got a bunch of like five star and ten out of ten reviews. I don't think it's that good. Like, I think a lot of people are really overhyping it because it's really, like, different. Like, there are, there are definitely some flaws, I think, in the, the story aspect of the game. But, like, the experience is so interesting that I definitely recommend picking picking it up. I just wouldn't... Ex- I wouldn't recommend going into it thinking it's the greatest thing of all time. Go into it thinking, like, this is a really cool game. Right. And, and, and if you're someone who is not into games that aren't, like, sort of, like, challenging and mechanical, this isn't the game for you. You know, it's not like... This is more of, like, if you really like Journey or something like that, this is more a game in that kind of vein where there's not a lot of mechanical complexity. It's all about uncovering the story and finding the story interesting. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's a really, really cool game. Okay. I have a game to talk about, I forgot. Okay. What is it? I played some of the Final Fantasy XIV beta. Oh. oh <laughs> the Realm the, Reborn the, the online. Realm yeah, I, I the PS3 beta launched yesterday, Friday. I we're recording this on a Saturday. It comes, yeah. We're putting this out on Monday, so any date discrepancies, like if tomorrow, you know, the Xbox One becomes the Xbox Seven Twenty or something. Yeah, yeah, we we don't know that yet. But anyway, um, let's see. So yeah, I I got into the beta, and I've been curious about this just because they put so much work into remaking this disaster. Yeah, yeah, game. Geez. That I wanted to give it a shot, but I didn't want to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, so I, makes sense. Yeah, so I got into the beta, booted up on the PlayStation 3. It's really interesting. I wonder if the actual PlayStation 3 version will be different, but the beta is basically just the PC version of the game running on a PlayStation 3. Hmm. Like, when you go to sign in, it basically uses the PS3 web browser. No. Uh, stuff like that. When it downloads, like, when it downloaded a big patch for the beta, it didn't do it through the PS3 download client that we're all familiar with. Yeah. Um, the sort of black screen with the white bar. Um, it did it just through a, win- like, an internet browser window. Huh. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Get into the game. Um, it, it looks really nice for an MMO. I mean, it, it basically looks graphically on par with Final Fantasy XIII. Huh. So while that's, cool. while that's further back for this generation, you got to remember an MMO... Is yeah, going to look yeah. like it was made today. Graphically, the, the graphics have to be back a little ways because it's a lot of people are playing it. Yeah. Um, so it looks pretty nice. Um, uh, the narrator is, is awful voice work, so that's a little. But it's like the only voice work in the game so far, as what I can tell. Mm-hmm. It's all text based. They didn't go the old Republic route and have everybody. Yeah, voice. yeah, and have just like reams of voice yeah. acting. Yeah. Which fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would not envy anyone. Well, like, they would have the to do that. Of doing all that, and they would have to do that in English and Japanese for no, this. No, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So I imagine just the translating work alone was a lot. But anyway, um, so I get in. The character creator was a ton of fun. 
I had so much fun building my character. Got this like giant ogre guy. No. It was a lot of fun. Like there's a lot of options. Did, I don't even know if you can. Can you make a Moogle or whatever the fuck those shitty yeah those little guys Final Fantasy bullshit like the things that killed Final Fantasy. I don't know. One of the many things. Yeah, but anyway, there's like five races. Um, what was interesting, I, I thought about the character creator too, that there's a lot of mythology built in. Like, I almost picked a different race of character just because I liked the backstory on it. Like, they were the original race and they were eradicated by the human race. <laughs> so you feel like so you're they're very, Native Americans. Yeah, they're Native yeah. Americans, basically. So that was kind of... You don't usually see that in a game. That was yeah. kind of an interesting race. Um, each race has different classes and stuff. Um, you know, they, they all have a different patron god you have to pick. I picked Rogar, God of Destruction. Um, Seemed got, appropriate for you Yeah Got a big battle axe For my guy You know It was fun uh, And then I got into the game And played about 20 minutes And turned it off in horror Because I could not figure out How to do even something As simple as talk to people Because Again when I say This looks like it's a PC game They just slapped on the PS3 yeah, I, I fucking mean it There, There's like a tiny There's so much shit On the screen There's like this tiny window In the middle Where you're actually playing And there's just all sorts of text and stuff and different battle commands and just everywhere. And then on the PS3 controller, because obviously a PS3 controller does not have as many buttons as a keyboard. Yeah, yeah. um, Like every button has to do eight different things or more. Like all your R buttons, R1 and 2, are are like hotkeys. Or not hotkeys, they they bring up your hotkey bar or something. Mm -hmm, Yeah. And then you, I don't know how you assign things to that bar. I couldn't figure that out yet. And then, like, it was just super confusing. The only thing I could reasonably figure out how to do was move. <laughs> Those are the two sticks. Um, other than that, like, oh, God, it was tough. And, like, just moving around. It was, like, really confusing. And I just was so overwhelmed. I turned it off. And it was like, I don't... Maybe this game is fun, but it was like I got into it and it was... For one, it feels very, very much like the first thing you do in World of Warcraft, which is, I mean, it's very MMO 101. Yeah. You get in, you have to go talk to someone and then go join a guild. And and I don't know, there was just... And then the, the dialogue was like really, really kind of cheesy and corny. And, and I feel like I've seen better writing in Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy to me can be obviously cheesy and hammy. Yeah. But I also think it yeah, can... Yeah. But I also think the writing can be very good. Even Final Fantasy thirteen gets shit on a lot, but it's got some very good writing in it and some very awful writing. But this so far was just kind of... There wasn't any hook to it once I started playing and I couldn't quite figure things out, so... A little weird. I, I maybe we'll go back in, but <laughs> and see if I can yeah. get more of a handle on it. But I would also be interested to know if the actual version that is shipping for PS3 is more optimized. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, from what you describe, it does sound like they just took the PC interface and were like, "Oh, like adapting all this shit to a controller would be hard work." So let's not. Yeah. So you know, maybe if I if I boot camp my computer or something, I could play it on that and have fun with it. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so that's Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn. Review of 20 minutes of gameplay. <laughs> yeah. I do... 20 minutes of like making a character and, yeah. and realizing, oh god. Yeah, this is too much. But then I, I did like... My favorite thing about the game so far, they just have that main awesome Final Fantasy menu screen music on the menu screen and character creator. So I got to listen to that for like 20 minutes. Like that song. Awesome. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, I hope that every battle ends with... Duh, like, what's what's the battle theme? Yeah, yeah. I almost did something completely different from like an old kids TV show. <laughs> I think I was about to do the DuckTales thing. <laughs> Someone should make a modded version of no, no, no. Fantasy that has like life is like a hurricane. Just like plays every single time you want to battle. That'd be awesome. DuckTales Remastered did come out this week and it's yeah, apparently terrible. Yeah, yeah that's... Hey, most NES games aren't that good if you go back to them. <laughs> it's not surprising. And yeah. then, like, and then, because I actually watched a lot of videos of DuckTales Remastered, and it's like, 
they got like the the original voice actors back, but like the dude who voices Scrooge is now he's so old that it's just like, oh my god, dude, like it's sad. Yeah, it's just like you needed to get someone else to do this voice. Like this guy's just too old to do voice acting anymore. Like he's like ninety something years old. Oh jeez, it's just like holy, sh- like it's cool that they got him back, but it's like when you're thinking about the actual product, like he's yeah. too old to do voice acting. He doesn't even sound like Scrooge anymore. Yeah, that's just it. Kind of just makes me want to go watch Ducktales. Yeah, exactly. Because Ducktales was a great show. Woo! Yeah. All right. So anyway, let's talk some video game news, Sean. All right. Big thing that came out in our in our break since the last podcast is we got some more Xbox One policy reversals. Yes. Yay! We need to have like a jingle for this. <laughs> Xbox One policy reversal. Yay! That's a wonderful. <laughs> that's a great jingle. I think I'm we not sell that. I'm not a musician. Yeah, that's obviously true. You're the one who plays guitar. Get out your guitar and play a jingle for us. I don't have my guitar with me right now, so unfortunately that is is impossible. Yes, all right. Um, In in the last two weeks sometime, they they announced that the Xbox One will actually, again, contrary to everything they had told you before, will not require you to have your Kinect on or even plugged in. Yeah, yeah, that's the big thing is that you don't have 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 to have the Kinect plugged in for the machine to work. Which, which they had said multiple times before that you had to have the Kinect plugged in for the machine to work. And then they rolled that back a little bit and they said, we yeah, can well, at least we, turn yeah, the mic yeah, off. Yeah, you can turn, there will be settings to turn everything off, but you'll still have to have the thing plugged in. And then it's like, well, no, fuck it. Like, you don't, if you want to, you can just take this thing out back and smash it with a sledgehammer as soon as you get your Xbox One if you want to, because you don't yeah. need it. Yeah. So, what the fuck is going on? I don't. They have rolled back everything. The last yeah. thing they have to roll back is the name. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. The last dumb thing they did. They got to get rid of the name. Yeah, they have to get rid of the name, and then they have to lower the price and not ship. They just have to not even have the connect a connect version of the fucking console anymore. Right. Like it's just it's going so far. It's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous that it's just like they are reversing everything about the console to that that made it in any way distinct from the PS4. Yeah. It's just like it's really. Like in this one, like I'm like this piece of news, I'm actually kind of disappointed by because, you know, I wasn't going to get an Xbox One, so the Kinect being annoying would not have affected me in any way. But, like, I like the idea that if if it had to be plugged in, that meant that developers knew that it was going to be there, like 100 percent of the time for everyone playing the game, it would have to be there, and that would incentivize them to to make Kinect games. To, to like put a connect features in games that they had already made and stuff like that and take advantage of that hardware and I don't know if that would have led anywhere good but it could have and so now that that's like well like you know there's probably going to be a bunch of people now that aren't even going to have their connects plugged in because they don't give a shit about it and they don't want that taking up any space so they're just gonna like pull it out and put it in a cupboard somewhere and never and never look at it again and if that and if enough people do that then like nobody's going to put connect features in their games. Which means it's just, the Kinect is just going to be completely useless and pointless again. Like it is now, yeah. Yeah, and so... And that, that kind of sucks because it's like... You know, I don't think there would have been like anything revolutionary or awesome to come out of it necessarily. But the potential was there. And it would, and like I said, it wouldn't have affected me if like a bunch of shitty stuff came out from it. Because I'm just going to get a PS4. So, yeah. yeah this, I, I think this was a dumb move, honestly, by Microsoft. Because it was like... That was the one... Like potentially cool thing about their console to most people is just like that had potential that could have been cool. We haven't gotten our hands on the new Connect yet. We don't know how well it actually works. Like if it works in as like many different situations as they claim it does. So we have no idea yeah. if, if if 
and maybe this, you know, maybe the connect, the new connect will be awesome enough that this won't really affect it. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it'll still people will at least have it. So like, if a game yeah. has to have it, you could go dig it up out of your yeah. cupboard. As of now, like yeah, again, this this feels like it is still technically plausible that they will now come out with a connectless version. Whereas before, I would have thought that there's no goddamn way that would ever happen. Now I'm not so confident on that. Like, I think it is totally possible that they might ship a connectless version and shave off the price to be 400 or lower. Yeah. And who knows? I just, I don't, I don't get this anymore because they, it's so weird because they started out with this horrible set of announcements that was targeting basically with the live TV and stuff, they were just targeting sort of the casual demo. Yeah. They saw that the casual demo didn't give a shit, and the hardcore demo just ate them alive. Yeah. So they then tried to go for the hardcore demo by like rolling back all of their decisions, all of their announcements. And now I don't know who they're targeting at. I don't yeah, know what I, I don't know what their message is. I don't know what their audience is. I don't know what the Xbox One is supposed to be. I can't even keep straight what all the policies are. Yeah, I, yeah, I did like I'm with you. Like some, when I'm thinking about it, I'm someone who keeps up with this stuff as much as I possibly can. I even find myself sometimes being like. Is it like, like, wait, do you like have to install games? Like, I don't even remember. I don't even fucking remember anymore. And they had another thing when they announced. Pretty sure this. you still do. But yeah, yeah. When they announced this, they had a bunch of other press materials come out, including like how game sharing works. I didn't understand a word of that I'm press release. Pretty sure it's basically how it works now, is from what I could but tell. But it's just but so weird. It's like your your account yeah, is so tied to your now. console, but your console isn't tied to your account. It's like it was like all this weird yeah, stuff and like every, nothing they do makes sense anymore because they've. It's like the boy who cried wolf. At a certain point. I don't care and I don't believe you guys. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely... And it's so weird because they started out with so much confidence, too. Like, uh-huh. when they came out, they were like... You know, it, I think it was like false confidence and excessive confidence. But they definitely was a sense of like, we know what the fuck we're doing. We, we Even though if you guys don't know that you want it, we know what you want. You want live TV. You want the goddamn NFL. That is what the future is. And now they're just like, uh, no. What do you guys want? Yeah, we'll like, put it in. What you guys? You guys want a? You want a white Xbox One? We'll give you a white Xbox One. You want a blue one? I. What do you want? Give us your money. Yeah. Do you want us to put a touchpad on the controller? Sony's doing it. We can do it too, maybe. Because there's a touchpad on the thumbsticks. <laughs> we'll one up them. The whole controller is a touchpad. Yeah. It's just. It's so weird. And again, I just don't know what their message is, what their marketing. I nothing of it makes sense. It's gonna come in. It feels like it's gonna come in just wrapped in duct tape and just fucked up and just. Yeah, it's just like they, they, yeah, they've definitely changed so much about the console from when we first heard about it that it's like at some point it's like, I like I wonder like how many of these changes are going to require like specific hardware stuff changing within the box itself. Yeah, like, I don't know. I've it's, it's so crazy. I, I'm like you know I was talking to my brother about this who is much more of an Xbox apologist than I am and he was like he was, I like that term Xbox apologist well because what he yeah. said was like well isn't it at least cool that they're you know listening to their fan base and I'm like no not really because if they were listening to their fan base they wouldn't have done this in the first place no if they had any idea what people wanted out of this console they wouldn't have done all that shit in the first place like, right yeah like I, I I've heard that argument too and it's just like it's like it's like you know I've made this comparison before about like like the Xbox One it's almost like this like abusive or clingy girlfriend kind of thing where it's just like yes like it's nice that you're trying to change but why would I go for you when there's this other console slash slash girlfriend that that wasn't a problem with for to begin with like that was never an issue I never needed her to change because she never like threw a glass bottle at me or something you know like it's like 
I'm like, it's nice that you're getting anger counseling or whatever it is. I'm, but that doesn't mean I want to be in a relationship with you anymore. Right. I'm happy for you. I'm sticking with Sony. Right. It's the perfect, it's the perfect comparison because that really is what it feels like is like, you know, Sony knew what we wanted right off the bat and that indicates to me as a consumer that my purchase will be validated for the long term because they will probably keep knowing what to do. Xbox has had no idea the entire time and they're just ripping off Sony. That's not a good indication for the future. Yeah, exactly. So... So I just don't get it. Yeah, content's still not high with Xbox One and Microsoft right now. No, and I am super interested to see how each console sells when it comes out because I feel like for all their attempts with the Xbox One to get that casual market with their live TV and stuff, I think the name of the console and everything else about it is just so muddled and now all this other stuff, I think they've lost whatever messaging they were trying to have and (laughs) we'll see what happens. Yeah, like, and I don't even know if, like... As far as like the wider public perception is concerned, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to shake off all the shit from like E3 because right. that was so, you know, so intense and immense. Just like how much backlash there was against that. That and like I know like, for sure that that creeped out into the larger audience. That, the that, Jimmy Fallon show yeah, did the thing exactly, and so it's like there are like people are like the people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to know about any of this will know a little bit, will have heard something about how the PS4 is better than the Xbox One, because so many people talked about it back then, and now, like, there's, you know, there's nothing really to talk about, like, you know, not having to plug in the Kinect is not really big news, like, it's not interesting, it's not something that I'm going to have a conversation with someone about other than you on the podcast. Yeah, for instance, that's not making headlines on CNN, the E3 stuff was making headlines on CNN. Exactly. And, you know, this is, it's, it's just interesting. And I feel like the PS4 has not had any backlash so far. Everyone's been happy with it. Everything's been, you know, sunshine and roses for that console on, yeah. its, on its entry path so far. But, I mean, has any console had this much of a lifespan before it even comes out? No. Considering the Xbox One? Yeah. The Xbox One has a history and it's not even out yet. Yeah, exactly. Like, it feels... Like, it, it honestly feels like it, like the Xbox One has gone through, like, what is effectively with the 360, it went from, like, having blades to the new Xbox experience. The Xbox One already did that with, like, all the crazy policy changes that have happened. It's like, it got a huge firmware update, and we haven't even gotten the console yet, but yeah. we still know about it. Like, that's one of the dumbest things about all of this, is we didn't need to know about, like, half of this shit in the first place. It was all Microsoft just shooting themselves in the foot, not, like... You know, like, you know, if you, you could have snuck out some of this stuff at some point instead of just, like, way, like, you know, backfucking before E3 dropping this huge policy thing saying, like, all this shit that everybody hates and just, like, being right in your face about it before those policies were obviously even finalized. So, yeah. Really dumb. All this stuff's so dumb. It's it's just so weird. Like, I'm super, I'm, I'm excited for Gamescom to see how those presentations are going to work out like what sort of the tone is going to be for Microsoft there like if they're going to come out and just be like sorry guys like hey because you know we haven't had a really big Microsoft thing since they've done all this stuff so like I want to see a stage presentation of like who you know like who the fuck now is going to come out for Xbox and just be like "Uh, we all we fucked up please come back yeah whatever it is we love you guys we do Give us your money. All right. Let's talk about some movies. Okay. Sean, uh, I've seen a bunch of movies recently. We like to sometimes check in and be like, you know, what movies have I seen? What was good? What was bad? Mostly just bad. I, it has, I have to go back to the Wolverine, basically, to talk about the last 
good like big movie I saw and I've seen one good kind of independent thing in the last couple weeks but it's been a while and the I'm just going through my list of reviews that I haven't talked about since last time um Two Guns giant piece of shit I hated that movie so goddamn much Next I have mo- a question about Two Guns are there more than two guns in the movie there's like 3,000 there's guns oh. everywhere so that's a shitty title for that movie that's that's the first line of my review Two <laughs> Guns is a terrible name for a movie oh. yeah that's interesting yeah so uh next movie I saw was Elysium and you saw this too yes, Sean yes yes I saw it like a week ago because we're Neil Blomkamp fans from District yeah, 9 yeah District 9 was cool great movie uh, Elysium not so great I didn't think so I was very sort of I thought it had some really good things visually it's fantastic um, it's got some decent action even though I think it's really heavily video gamey like this movie feels like it wants to be a video game to me half the time I can see that yeah um, but I still think it's, it's well done it's, it's decently acted even though I have some problems with all the characters but um, what do you think of it? I mean I, I basically agree with all of that yeah like it's definitely I enjoyed it like I don't think it's, it's great like I don't think it's as good as District 9 my biggest problem with it is that I think it really lost focus at like a certain point in the movie where there's just way too much going on there are too many characters given too much emphasis you know you've got like because it's like it's it felt like you know the movie is supposed to be about Matt Damon's character and then like like the his girlfriend or whatever like the girl he fell in love with when he was a kid and her daughter like that's supposed to be the story then you've got like the Kruger dude or whatever and he's got his whole thing and then you've got Spider and his whole thing going on and then you've got fucking Jodie Foster and Elysium with like the weirdest side plot that feels like like almost this entire part of the movie could be cut out. Yeah, Jodie Foster does nothing important. Yeah, and she's like the headline star, her and Matt Damon. Yeah, and she's useless. Yeah, Jodie Foster's awesome. Why did you waste Jodie Foster? Yeah, yeah. It so sucks. yeah, there's, it, the movie really loses focus. But yeah, I think the action is good. Uh, Honestly, like I, th- I think it, I think it's an okay, like a decent movie. Like it's worth a rental, I guess. Was, I, I don't it, think it's necessarily something you should go to the. Like have to rush out to the theater for no, and I don't. I don't even know if I'd go far enough to say you even need to see it because just go watch District Nine. Elysium is the plot of District Nine, where you have a guy. He's kind of uh, this. This this guy is portrayed much more you know positively than the Charlotte Copley character in District Nine, who is sort of a bad guy when that yeah. movie starts. But anyway, he's you know he's got a criminal history. He's not the best guy in the world, but he gets this deadly affliction. He has to go to the other side of the haves have not equation to fix his affliction. To get there, he enlists the help of a, a parent and child. Then he sacrifices himself for the parent and child and saves the world and, and destroys the have have not barrier at the end. It's, except for except for like in this movie, you know they have like the the metapods that save everybody. It's like the situation at the end of this movie. There'd just be rampant overpopulation, and we'd all die anyways. Yes, it's it's it, yeah, it's one of the problems. It's got the but same problem as District Nine has in terms of like its allegory stuff, where it's like, at least this is like you know ties into my personal beliefs on this kind of stuff. But it's just like this is act like the situation that has been created at the end of this movie isn't necessarily like fantastic. I don't no. think like it's. And it does. It, it, certain aspects of it don't even make sense for Lucium, but yeah. No, and what I was going to say is that my bigger problem is that the allegory in District Nine mostly worked for me. I, I liked it. I thought it actually said some more nuanced things, not necessarily about apartheid, but about just basic ideas of of freedom and equality and 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 um, you know relations and stuff. It was. I thought it had some interesting nuance to it. This movie has no nuance whatsoever. It's. I don't even know if you can call it allegory. It's just the current illegal immigration situation. I, mean, I would honestly say I, I feel the same way about District Nine. In that aspect that I do Elysium like I think they are both so obvious and heavy handed with that aspect of the movie that I don't think like either of them handle it well but it doesn't 
bother me a whole lot. Yeah, at least because most stuff doesn't. Well, it's yeah. At I, least it's trying to, I guess, because most stuff doesn't even bother to try to relate stuff to current issues. Right, and that's and that's I think one of the first things I said in my review is you know you got to Neil Blomkamp tries to make socially conscious sci-fi that's good. Yeah, there's you know there's no downside to that, but it's. Uh, it it's def- really heavy-handed. Yeah, and I think it's to me it's more heavy-handed than Elysium, and I think the message is much more muddled to me too by the end. Um, and I just, yeah, I I didn't really. There were parts of this movie I liked, but overall, and one of my biggest problems, honestly, was that I thought District Nine had the advantage of Charlotte Copley doing a great performance and having a protagonist that to me was really interesting, three-dimensional, had a really clear arc. Yeah. While Matt Damon is a great actor. There, his character is not a character. He's just a blank. It's just he's just a guy. He's just a dude. There's nothing yeah. we know about him except he doesn't want to die. Well, whoop de fucking do. Most people don't want to die. Yeah. So it's like he's got no character. I never felt even mildly invested in him. And so when he gets to the end and all the big shit goes down, it's like I uh, don't really care. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the biggest problem to me is that even District Nine, if you don't like the allegory stuff, I think you can be carried through by the Charlotte Copley. Yeah, character. I, I agree. Yeah, the main what, character in District Nine is a lot more interesting. What do you think of Charlotte Copley here? Like, who did, did he, was he he's Cougar? The, yeah, he's Cougar. Yeah, yeah. I, I just like it's been so long since I saw District Nine, I didn't remember. And yeah. It's I thought his character just got really weird at some yes. point. Like he started off with like, yeah, this guy's kind of cool, and then it's like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Like he just became really cartoonishly psychotic at some point, where it's just like I couldn't even really believe his character anymore. But yeah, I mean, at the point where he just wants to take over Elysium because he can, yeah, it made no sense. Um, but but hey, when his face got blown off and they had to reconstruct it, that was a cool effect. It was like I think it was stop motion. Yeah, it looked like, cool. Yeah, that was. So there we go. That was that was awesome. I like that effect. Even though I thought that it was stupid, because if the pods can do anything, then humanity would be immortal, and it would yeah. just be. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean. We'd be I think I think people are like clearly in this in within the context of the movie, people are really underestimating the utility of their own pods. Because if yeah, if your face can get blown off by a fucking grenade and you can wait like ten minutes and then chuck the dude in the pod and he comes out fine with a beard, like yeah, there we go. Yeah, so like, had the beard come back. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh well. Oh well. Let's see what other movies have I seen. I saw the Linda Lovelace biopic, the star of Deep Throat, the porno. Yes. They. Don't know why they made that movie. It was a piece of shit and it had no reason to exist. I think that probably could be an interesting story to tell on film. Mm-hmm. But honestly, you would probably learn more about the subject of the movie by going and watching Deep Throat online. Yeah. It was there really... Recommendation by Jonathan, go watch Deep Throat. No, no that was not my point. Alright. Uh, Woody Allen's new movie is out, Blue Jasmine. It is fantastic. One of the two or three best movies I've seen this year. Go see it. My review is online. Don't want to get into too much depth here. Kate Blanchett is in it. I would say put money on her to win the Oscar. Not just is it a great performance, but it's a really big performance. So I think, you know, they're they're gonna like that. And uh, and uh, people in Woody Allen movies, if Woody Allen movies do well, and this movie's been doing very well in limited release, they tend to win a, a lot of Oscars. So that that'll be interesting if you're interested in that. Um, but it's Blue Jasmine, really really good movie, one of Woody Allen's best of the last couple, the last probably ten years. Um, that and Midnight in Paris for me are my two favorites of his latter day period. Um, so that was really really good. Um, Kick-Ass 2 was pretty bad <laughs> No, that's unfortunate Yeah, did you what, what's, what were your thoughts on Kick-Ass 1? I liked it Like, I didn't there, there were some people I know Who really, really, really liked it And I thought I thought it was a fun movie With a cool premise Yeah And I enjoyed it And I thought when they When the Kick Girl was in the lobby And then the theme from Fistful of Dollars comes on I thought that part was really cool Yeah I, I think like That literally is the thing I remember most from that movie Because I feel like I tell this story Every time I 
talk about this movie. I literally watched A Fistful of Dollars a day before I saw Kick-Ass. Nice. So it was like, as soon as that theme come on, I came on, I'm like, holy shit, what the fuck? Like, why is this the... That's such a weird musical theme to just pull out of nowhere. Because it's not even like... It's not like the good, the bad, the ugly theme where it's really iconic either. Like, it's, it's, it's you know, it's relatively obscure. So, yeah. really weird. So, Kick-Ass 2, though, and, and I actually think almost 100% what you just said about Kick-Ass, where I think it's been really unnecessarily deified since it came out. Like, I saw a bunch of Kick-Ass 2 reviews saying it doesn't live up to the masterpiece that was Kick-Ass yeah, 1. Like, yeah, Kick-Ass definitely has this sort of, like, it, since it appeals to a very, like, nerdy, geeky side, but it has, like, this, like, serious, gritty kind of aspect to it, too. People really love it. Like, yeah, people eat that shit up. So. But I don't, I don't think it even is. I don't even think that movie has the ambitions to be a masterpiece. I think yeah, it's exactly what it wants to be. And yeah. it's a really fun, clever, smart superhero. Uh, you know, movie. Yeah, like um, I said, it's just like, it's the kind of movie that people will obsess over, even if it doesn't deserve it. Right. And I and I thought it was interesting. And I think more than anything else, Kickass One was vulgar and violent, but with a clear thematic satirical yeah. point. Kickass Two is. Vulgar and violent, but much more tame, I should say. It feels like a direct-to-video movie. Much more tame, but without that thematic point. Like, the thing about Kick-Ass 1 that I kind of loved was that it made it very clear that while you can have fun with these characters, you're still supposed to view them as clinically insane. Like, you're not supposed to look at Big Daddy, the Nicolas Cage character, and say, he's a good father. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely not. That's not the attitude of the movie. But you are absolutely 100% in Kick-Ass 2 supposed to look at Hit-Girl and say she is a hero, and she is sane and good for doing what she does. Hmm. When what you really should be thinking is, this poor girl had her life destroyed by an abusive father. Yeah, by Nicolas Cage. You yes. don't even have to say abusive fathers. Right, it's Nicolas Cage. And so this whole movie is this really earnest, like, overdone story where it's like she goes to high school and she decides to give up the, 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 the mantle of Hit Girl, but then she, you know, goes through this arc of self-discovery and realizes she has to be Hit Girl. And I think that could work, and that's true to the character, if at the end you viewed it as, she's still kind of insane. Like, they, for, like you just say because I didn't know anything about the plot to this movie, but like Hit Girl in high school, where she like just dis, like discards the mantle of Hit Girl, but then like 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 takes it back or whatever. It just all of a sudden it makes me think of like the plot of Carrie, only with Hit Girl is, instead of Harry, Carrie, where like she's at prom, thing gets dumped on her, and she's like, okay, fuck you people, and just kills everybody. That actually is very. It is Carrie without, but without oh, the killing. I kind of want to see this movie. Yeah, well, that's actually oh, wait, that's, without the killing. You said. Well, there's some. She does other stuff that is violent to the girls who make fun oh, of her. That sucks. But, she, but that's not Hit Girl. Hit Girl would just decapitate all of them. I know, and I agree. But the best parts, oh. the best parts of Kickass Two, bar none, are the stuff with her in high school because it's sort of this Mean Girls esque parody of like Mean Girl teenage culture, yeah. but with Hit Girl at the center. And then of course she gets like you know not. It doesn't happen at prom, but she goes on her first date and gets made fun of by the girl. Something bad happens, and then she gets her revenge and becomes Hit Girl again. But it's sort of funny because Chloe Grace Moretz is playing Carrie in the Carrie remake. That's true! <laughs> That's holy shit! That's true! So... It's kind of funny. Yeah, I'll there, I'll just I'll just watch the Carrie remake. Hopefully, that's good, and then I will just pretend that she's Kickass. They're, right. they're not Kickass. They're like Hit Girl, yeah. only with telepathic powers. Yeah, and then the rest of Kickass Two is really awful too. It's it's like it's really weird. It feels like a reboot. Like it seriously does. It has almost no continuity connections to the first one. Like you know, the first one ends with the um, uh, Chris D'Amico character. His dad gets yeah. you know killed, and then yeah, he, sw- he gets killed. He gets shot out of the window with a fucking RPG. Right, and he swears revenge on Kickass. And becomes the motherfucker at the end of movie one. Well, it takes forty-five minutes in Kickass two for him to become the motherfucker. Huh. They roll all that back, so he's mad at Kickass, but he's not doing anything. And then it's not until the third act that he actually starts doing stuff. Huh. So the most of the movie is just Kickass. He has a new team of superheroes with him, and it's sort of like a new origin story for that team. 
Um, Jim Carrey is sadly totally wasted. He's really, really fantastic in his two or three scenes. And oh. then he leaves, and it's stupid. And anyway, um, but yeah. So and then at the end, they they the motherfucker and kick ass fight, and you know it's 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 bad. It's it also looks super cheap. When I say it looks direct to video, it looks direct to video. It had the same budget as Kick Ass One, but where Matthew Vaughn I think was really good at stretching that budget, Kick Ass One does not look cheap. It just looks smaller scale. Yeah, Kick Ass Two looks cheap. I mean, the final fight. Is like two groups of superheroes fighting in a warehouse, and it is the cheapest thing I've ever seen on in a big budget release yeah. or a big studio release. So, yeah, it's it's not very good. It's been savaged in the reviews, so understandably so. But um, another movie that's been savaged that was not nearly as bad as I expected to be though is Jobs, the Steve Jobs biopic starring Ashton Kutcher and Josh Gad. And there were things about this movie I genuinely liked. I thought. It didn't really. It didn't. It didn't do anything revelatory or, or you know, super insightful about yeah. Steve Jobs. But you know, I just saw that Linda Lovelace biopic, and the thing I hated about that was that it had no interpretation of its subject. It just presented some scenes from Linda Lovelace's life. That's not interesting. Mm-hmm. If you're into a movie, I feel like you have to know what was this person significant for. Why were they able to be significant, and can you present that in an arc where dramatically it feels significant? And I think the Jobs movie does that. It hits those main notes. That a bi- like it's like if I have a rubric, it hits all the notes on the rubric. Doesn't get an A, maybe it doesn't even get a B, but it gets that C. And <laughs> yeah. you know, Ashton Kutcher is actually really good as Steve Jobs. He he is a little overly mannered, like impersonating the the mannerisms of Steve yeah. Jobs too much here and there. But overall, it's a good performance. Honestly, the biggest problems with it are in the first twenty minutes. Steve Jobs is Jesus. Like literally, that, that was one. Of, that's one of the things I'm most worried about with this movie was just like looking at him like this is gonna be too. Steve Jobs is our literally the yeah, first savior. it starts with him uh, doing the iPod reveal is the first scene they do and literally the, he is basked in halos of light his reflection is shown in the back of the iPod the silver back and like that's how the movie starts as you see his reflection and then it flashes back so he's bathed in halos of light everyone applauds wherever he goes and then it goes back and for some reason the heaviest portion of deification is before he does anything yeah it's like when he's in college and literally there's a scene where classical music is playing that he's hearing in his head and he's dancing through fields of wheat like a Terrence Malick movie. Oh my god. But then they scale that back and then they do a much more nuanced like he's a you know he's a dick sometimes. He, they show his strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Not as much as they should. Like they really needed to go further in depth for instance on him abandoning his daughter and pretending she wasn't his daughter that whole thing. Yeah. And some of the other stuff. But overall the arc is that he's a guy who has a lot of skills but he needs to learn how to be a better people person basically before he can implement them and so it ends at the point where he comes back to Apple and has become a much better leader and manager and that's when Apple takes off in 1996. Mm-hmm. Seven. Um, so it's an okay arc. The ending needs some work also. But it's just kind of funny. My biggest complaint though is that good God they hated Steve Wozniak. Oh no! <laughs> How can you hate the Woz? He's the Woz! And I shouldn't say hate but good God he is just a funny fat person in this uh, movie. That's, that was the other thing. This is the two things I was worried about why I don't, didn't want to see this movie because I knew it was going to glorify Steve Jobs to the point where he's Jesus. And then I knew they weren't going to make the Waz Jesus when the Waz 
he should be Jesus because he's the fucking Woz. Yeah, they Steve Wozniak. You know, they showed that Woz invented the Apple One and Two, but they don't put enough emphasis on that. And what a yeah. just a big accomplishment that was yeah, for him. No kidding. They really they they and I understand it's the Jobs movie. They focus more on Jobs' side of that, which is important. But I think Woz's was more important. Yeah, yeah. Like, why isn't there? Like, why is this even a Jobs movie? It should just be called The Woz. That would be great. And I think Josh Gad actually could be a really good Steve Wozniak when it's just a regular dramatic scene. He's good. His last scene in the movie is poorly written, I think, but he delivers it really well. Um, but then there's so many jokes where like he's eating a burrito and drops it on himself, uh, or he like trips and falls. It's like he's it's just he's a uh, so many fat jokes, and it's like yeah. why do you do that? This is one of the you know tech giants. It's it's his name is Wozniak. How can you not love him? I know he's and he's such a smart, thoughtful guy. When you yeah. hear him talk, it's like I don't know why they decided he's going to be the funny fat comic relief yeah. for half the movie. So that was kind of annoying. But there were things I liked about it, and, and maybe it was just because I had seen so many bad movies leading up to Jobs, and I did not want to see this movie so much, I kind of enjoyed it yeah. in parts. But yeah, again, once they calmed down and Steve Jobs is not Jesus. I mean, for that, once he was in the fields of wheat, I expected that how they would depict his firing from Apple in 85 would be he would get crucified. <laughs> and, and in 1996, when they bring him back, they would roll back the rock, yeah. Jobs would be in there, he'd have a beard, he'd shave the beard off and be like, let's yeah. go. So, yeah. I have come back to give you the iPod. Save humanity. Yeah. But, yeah. So, I, actually, I'm a little disappointed that they did not go through with it and just have Steve Jobs get crucified. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's see. Last bit of news I want to talk about before we get into Persona 3 stuff is uh, we have a little more confirmation on when we might see Series 8 of Doctor Who. Uh, Jenna Coleman was talking to uh, Zap Toit. There was an interview, and she confirmed they are not shooting Series 8 until January. So all our hopes of seeing Series 8 in March dashed. It'll be a long time before we see the 8th Doctor. And I'm guessing they are doing the same thing they did last year where they're going to have a split Christmas special split. Because it's, it can't premiere until August at the earliest at this point. Mm-hmm. If they're shooting in January, it usually takes them eight to nine months to do a season of Doctor Who. And they typically have it in the can before they start airing. So, disappointing. Yeah. And, and you know, who knows? Maybe Peter Capaldi's schedule wouldn't allow him to shoot yeah. any earlier. And if that's the case, it, you know, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's not like this is a Terrible. crisis. No, no, no. It's just, it's a, just yeah. It's a, little, it's a bummer because it'll yeah, have been... Yeah, we'll be waiting for the new Doctor for so long at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was kind of fun back in the day when um, you weren't around for this because you weren't caught up yet. But, yeah. I, you know, I got caught up right around the time um, uh, David Tennant left. I saw that episode just a couple weeks after it aired. And then it was, okay, that aired uh, January 1st. Matt Smith was coming in in March. Made it really nice and easy. The transition was really good. And, and now it'll be, we'll have one episode in November, another in December. And it'll be like the 12th Doctor will return in about a year. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get like that, like whatever, like two minute scene at the very end of the Christmas special where Peter Capaldi has just regenerated, and then yeah, we have to wait a year basically. Yeah, so and I just and the other rumors that it'll be you know twelve episodes, which indicates that what they'll be doing is the thirteenth will be the Christmas special, and probably they will do the same thing of it airing in the middle. And I want them to stop that. Yeah, because you just can't build momentum that way. And maybe I mean it'll certainly work better if they have one companion. Yeah, yeah, it's not going. It'll just be a little bit annoying. But I don't think it'll like. I mean, one of the problems with how they did it this time is that with that split with like Amy and Rory and everything is that this season is just weak no matter how you watch it. Whereas if like they did that split with series eight, that's just really frustrating as you're watching it airing. Whereas hopefully that would mean hey, when everything's said and done, if you and you watch them like a marathon like the season box set. 
it would probably work just fine. Right. Like, that's how Series 6 works. Yeah. So, oh well. That was just a little disappointing. We, we said we'd keep you updated on that yeah. last time we talked about this. So, let's finish that. Let's talk some Persona. Before we get into Persona 3, you had a small bit of Persona news yes, to talk about. It's, this is just, just recently broke out of Japan a couple of days ago. Breaking news! Yes, breaking news! You know, that was like, honestly, not a lot of Western sites are reporting on this. Because it's, it's kind of confusing how you would even report this. But, okay, for, let's, let's, let's roll it back so we can all be on the same page here. So, Persona 4, the ultimate in Mayanaka Arena, the, the Japanese title. It's, it's a game made by Arc System Works, which is a big Japanese uh, fighting game developer for, like, really crazy 2D fighters. And I'll just call it Persona 4 Arena. Persona 4 Arena is a, basically a sequel to Persona 4. It takes place, like, a couple of months afterwards. It has the, all the returning, like, main characters from Persona 4, but then also, also introduces a bunch of the Persona 3 casts, like uh, the Akihiko, Mitsuru, I guess, Elizabeth. They all pop up like Fuka has a cameo, and they're all characters that you can play as, and it's the first time there's been a like real crossover between those characters in the Persona series, and Persona 4 Arena sort of sets up some sequel stuff, but when it was originally made, because arcades are still kind of a thing in Japan, it was an arcade fighting game, and so, you know, that came out in Japan, and then eventually they made a home console version, that got ported over here, and then, like, it took fucking, like, I think just, like, last month, it finally made it to Europe because of crazy licensing shit. So that's what Persona 4 Arena was. And so now we've seen what might be a sequel. What I'm, I'm going to, once I lay out all the information, I'll post it. I'll tell you what I, I suspect it is based on what I've been able to parse out. We, we've seen there are location tests, which is like you know basically almost kind of like beta versions of arcade cabinets being put out in Akihabara in Japan, that are for what is effectively what like a new Persona 4 Arena game. And there's now two new characters, which are Junpei and Yukari, who are the sort of the two other most significant main characters from Persona 3 that did not feature in Persona 4 Arena. Where's They're... Koromaru? Well, that's one of the things I was thinking about. But I'm like, how the fuck would you implement <laughs> Koromaru? Because he's a little dog. So, I mean, I think it would be awesome if Koromaru came back and all of a sudden he was like a giant wolf. Yes. Because it like, takes place several years after Persona 3. <laughs> But so, and so, yeah, so the location tests have two new characters. It's got one new stage that I'll tell you about in a little bit that for people who are fans of Persona 3 and 4 is kind of crazy. And then there's like a whole huge suite of changes to the existing characters and all the existing characters return because we've seen the character select screen. And like, like just there are some minor balance changes, uh, like everyone's auto combo, which is basically mash on the X button. It just like does a long combo string. All of those are different for all the characters. Some, like, most of the characters have a couple of new special moves. And, uh, and, and the other, like, huge big thing about the returning cast is that everyone, with the exception of uh, Labrys and Elizabeth, because Labrys already has a shadow Labrys, all the other characters have shadow versions of themselves that have played slightly differently. That This is going to make sense if you haven't played Persona 4 Arena, but they don't have burst. I forget what to replace it, but... They don't have the burst system, and then there's some other stuff, and I know their SP meter retains across rounds, which is something that the other characters don't do. And so that's a pretty huge set of changes. And like all the menus look differently because we've seen videos and screenshots and stuff come out. And so that news kind of broke, and how I saw it was on forums because it's kind of a weird thing. Like It was reported in Famitsu, the Japanese video game magazine, and then a couple of sites over here have picked it up. An official word to the U.S. out of Atlas has been that this is an arcade-only update and there are no plans about bringing it over to the United States. 
But that's a weird statement because Famitsu claims that from like translations that other people have made that I've read that this is a full-on sequel and we're kind of like tentatively calling it Persona 4 Arena Climax because all the screens have like climaxes like up in the corner. And so like it's we don't quite know what it is but my theory is that it, it, that it is effectively going to be a sequel to Persona 4 Arena because Persona 4 Arena set up a lot of sequel stuff and I think there are going to be two new other there are going to be two other characters that from not Persona 4 Arena that are going to be in there based on the select screen there are two like areas on the select screen that's like there should probably be boxes there but there aren't boxes there and I think it's not a coincidence that this would be coming out very close like like after the release of the Persona 3 movie where in the Persona 3 movie the main character from Persona 3 would both receive a official canonical name like Yu Narikami did in the Persona 4 anime oh, I and he would have that. an official voice actor and some of the stuff they talk about in Persona 4 Arena hints at stuff around the Persona 3 main character and so I I highly suspect that one of the returning characters is probably going to be the Persona 3 main character coming back with whatever like Makoto Yuki or whatever his new official name is and then maybe a like brand new character or someone else like Adachi would return and then because the the new stage that we've seen is the entrance to Tartarus but the entrance to Tartarus is inside of the TV world so fucking so- crazy fucking shit going down if if this is a full on sequel and those story hooks that they've left and this is how they're picking it up where like I have a very clear image in my mind where that story can go fucking insane do you want it to go there oh uh, yeah like I think cause we'll talk about this when we've done Persona 3 but you haven't played the answer so it's like my perspective on stuff around the Persona 3 main character is going to be a little bit different but I think like I would yeah like I would be totally fine if they went in that direction because Persona 4 Arena is already kind of... It's kind of fan fiction-y in the way that every single crossover is like that. So it's like, I would... You know, I want to see the crossover go to its full potential. Yeah. I've, I want to see where that can go. I want to see them doing other stuff with that. And I definitely want a sequel to Persona 4 Arena because I thought that was a phenomenal game. And I'd like to see... And I particularly want to see what they do with Yukari and Junpei because those are two of my favorite characters. And, yeah. one, and Junpei... We it, he, we know because we've like seen the characters and stuff. He became a baseball player, like That's a awesome. professional baseball player after the end of Persona Three. So like his weapon is a baseball bat, and it looks like Yukari became the like actress for the Featherman show, and she's the Pink Featherman Ranger, which is basically like a Power Ranger knockoff. So That's like her so costume great. is like she doesn't have the helmet on, but she's like wearing the Pink Featherman Ranger suit. And I don't know if that's if she's like a TV actress or if it's like a stage thing. Like I don't know because they didn't. I don't, think they ever hinted at Ikari being an actress like she was all in the archery and shit yeah but yeah like she's a stunt double yeah well that's I mean yes that could work you're the one wearing the suit probably but yeah no it's fucking cool like that's that's what I'm hoping it is like the worst case scenario is it is this weird arcade but it's like the changes are so sweeping but the worst case scenario is this is a weird arcade only edition of this game that is just only going to release in Japanese arcades and that's it I don't think that's plausible, though. Like, just based on everything I've seen, you know, like like IGN obviously like reported, hey, this this is what Atlas USA told us. And it's like they were going to say that no matter what. Yeah, they don't exactly. Have, like, they don't have anything to tell us right now exactly. about 
So, yeah. yeah. And, and, like, and they can get out of, like, saying it's not going to come over here. It's like, well, you're talking about the arcade version. Like, of course the arcade version. Or, like, you'd even just be talking about the location test version of the arcade machines. It's like, right. of course that's never going to come over here. Like, arcade machines are dead. Right. So, yeah. That's one of the craziest things about Japan is that when I visit Japan one day, I can't wait to go to a Japanese arcade. And, and be an actual, ass like, that fighting game because well, I'm pretty sure that's one of like the only games that still exist in arcades well yeah I'd get my ass kicked would be like to see an actual like thriving arcade where people actually go yeah, to that'd again. be crazy yeah yeah anyway um yeah so interesting news yeah definitely like if people deep into Persona how you... long is Persona 4 Arena all the story stuff together I've been wondering that probably like 20 hours I'd say okay. maybe maybe yeah. not quite that I've, it's been a while since I played it so I don't really remember yeah do the story parts of Persona 4 Arena have actual fighting in them, or are they just visual? Yeah, novels? there's not a lot. There's like five maybe matches per person, and they're okay. all really easy. So they're mostly can, just visual novel yeah, stuff. You can mash out the auto combo if you're not. I mean, yeah, the AI is really easy to beat. Like anyone could beat it. So right. Okay, I was just wondering because I played like 30 minutes of the Narukami one, and there's yeah, no yeah. actual gameplay. So I was yeah, like, yeah, it takes a real long time to get to the fights, but yeah, which is fine because the, the yeah. story stuff's great. But in any case, uh, let's see. That's everything we've got. Let's transition in, Sean, to talk about Persona 3. If you have not played Persona 3, stop listening. We're going to get into it now. Spoilers. Really, this is going to be different than our Persona 4 discussion, which was two episodes. We went into everything. I really just want to talk story here, discussion, break it down, kind of what our reactions are. Do the discussion we've always wanted to do, but we couldn't for spoilers, you know? Yeah. So let's get into it. Uh, Persona 3. Sean, you listed it as your number one favorite game of all time. Yes. And after finishing the game, a couple days later, I went back and listened to that segment of our podcast, and I really liked the, the overview you gave there of just how the game, you, what you talked about most was just about how much the impact at the end, how cumulative the game feels. Yeah. Where Persona 4 is great throughout, and then, I wouldn't say peters out at the end, but the ending is, is a little weaker than the rest of the yeah. game. Especially um, the golden version where they have that weird epilogue. Yes. Um, so Persona 4, it doesn't have the same... It has a lot of impact, just not the same kind of impact, where Persona yeah. 3 is like a freight train that gets faster and faster and hits you all at once at the yeah, end. Yeah, with, especially with the Jan the month of January and then everything that falls after. Then that's actually kind of where I wanted to start this discussion, okay. maybe, is that you've always said January was when you realized this was your favorite Persona game. Yes, yes. That's, 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 when, that's when I felt like, like, probably halfway through January, I'm like, this is this feels like this is getting better than Persona 4 which is something like for like for the entire game up to that point I had not I had felt like I definitely had felt like it was getting better but I had not felt like it was better than Persona 4 until like it got to that section of the game and I'm like this is doing some really crazy awesome stuff yeah. like like just everything about January I think is awesome and for me it was December when I decided this is the best game I've ever played this is the most impact a story has ever had on me because that December 31st choice it's actually the beginning of December because the yeah. scene where you you have you know Ryoji and you learn that you know Ryoji is death yeah. if you do not if you kill it you have this basic choice and it's it's the best allegory I have ever seen allegory usually sucks yeah this is great this is so brilliant it's where you have this choice of if you kill Ryoji you can you will lose your memories and you can live in ignorance until the fall comes and the yeah. fall in the game if you don't remember is the event that will Nyx will come and kill all life on earth yeah. you all become the lost um, so you can live in ignorance until the fall comes or you can have your memories the fall will come earlier but you can try and probably fail but you can try to fight against it yeah and that's 
life. Yeah, that yeah. choice is life. Because, And I think this is the thing that amazes me about Persona 3, and this is why I wanted to start here, is because Persona 3 literally tackles the biggest questions a human being could ever ask. Yeah. Ever! Because you're asking, you're, they are looking for the meaning of life by examining the meaning of death. Yeah, yeah, it's looking for, it's exactly it. When usually when people ask, like, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? Like, they're asking the question in the completely wrong context. Like, like asking if you have some kind of purpose. And it's just like, that's not quite, like, like you're looking for this, like, this raison d'etre that, like, does not exist. Like, you know, I mean, if you're getting into religious stuff, like, that's a completely other, like, context of that argument. But it's like, you don't exist for this, like, mission. You don't have this, like, purpose that if you fulfill it, you win, you know? Right. Like, that's not a thing. And that's, like, sort of what people are looking for is, like, how can I win at life? How can I succeed? That's the parody of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, for yeah. instance, with 42 and the, the life, the universe, and everything. Exactly. Like, there's no, there's no answer, right. really. And so it's like, yeah, I love, like, Persona 3 tackles that in, in, the, in like, the real way of just, like... Life is what death is. Like, the only thing that makes life significant is the fact that it ends. And that everything ends is what makes life important and, 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 and different and precious. And what gives it this sort of sense of meaning. Like, the fact that you have this time limit is why you want to succeed. And so, but Persona 3 looks at it as just like, you have to find something to do. Like, you want to live, you want to have a life, you want to be happy. You have to have find some way to do that. And fulfill your responsibilities at the same time. Yeah, and so I want to... Yeah, and so that's what that choice, the December 34th choice, that's why it's so important. And where I wanted to start was just my personal experience playing December was mm-hmm. I got through that, you know, the, the, the full moon at the, uh, you know, at the beginning of December. All the Ryoji stuff was given the choice. And I was just like, literally, I remember I was sitting there playing my Vita. I played, I played the portable version, but I saw all the fest stuff, so we'll get into that. Yeah. I, I watched the animated cutscenes. So pretend I just played the regular version. Okay. Um, like, there might be some differences I don't know about stuff from per- portable to fest, but... Yeah, we'll talk about it. Uh, but in any case, uh, and I, I do know what they are. I've looked them okay. up. But we'll talk about that later. But um, anyway, I'm sitting there playing my Vita. My mom was uh, in, a, in another part of the house, and she was just or, so another part of the living room just reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I, was, I was home with my family, and... Uh, and I, I remember I got through that part and I got back and there's normal play like you know you have your morning and the yeah. music comes in and I just I turned the game off and I just literally put my head in my hands and that's something you always say like oh god yeah. I put my head in my hands I've never actually done that I don't think like yeah. for something like a game at least or a story that I'm going through but I just I couldn't I was terrified like for some yeah. reason this game having that choice ate at me so hard I had trouble sleeping that night it fucked with me because the thing is and this is why Persona 3 is so brilliant is if you're gonna play it and you're gonna get to that point in the game you have to confront the meaning of death yeah. you can't go through it unless you're just ignoring the story mm-hmm. somehow and so you have to confront that idea and it's terrifying to think about that like that choice initially I was thinking maybe I do want to forget because this is terrifying this is a yeah. terrifying feeling and that's what everyone in the game is thinking and then when I finally mustered up the courage to go back into the game and go back into the life I started you know I talked to Junpei I talked to Yukari I talked to Mitsuru I talked to my social link friend yeah. in school and I start realizing it's like I don't want to forget you I don't yeah. want to forget you and I start realizing I've got strength back and I have more fun with the game and as that's going on all the characters have these different epiphanies throughout December which are my, some of my favorite scenes in the game where they realize I don't want to forget I need to yeah. know this this is terrifying but it fuels me and so I get to the end of December and I get to that choice and 
I wanted to see. I knew this was going to be the bad ending, good ending thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I made a save and I decided I want to see the bad ending. Yeah, yeah, I did the same thing. And I feel like you, ha- it's good to look at the bad ending there yeah. because that reinforces it to you because that bad ending is just so sad. Yeah. Because you look at it, all these characters that had gone through these arcs, they're now just sort of, you know, they're vain, venile people who don't... Yeah, and they don't have any sort of real relationship with each other anymore. And that's, like, one of the things I find really interesting about what that kind of game... What the game says about that is that you make this choice not to confront your own mortality, to just ignore that aspect of your existence, and then you become this really... Like, all of them sort of go back to being these really, like, cliché... Sort of like high school, like they, they become kids again who are like really self absorbed and like just only interested in sort of like frivolity, you know? Mm-hmm. And but and you lose these like really mature and serious, honest relationships you've built up by confronting death with each other and having like something like like his death is the one thing that is like serious, like no matter what, that is like the thing that makes life serious to us. Like it's the one thing that's like when you're like like when you're talking about death honestly you can't joke about it because like you, you like humans just can't like make an honest joke about death and so like you if you ignore that that's you're you're being childish in that instance and you have no ability to have this like mature relationship with everyone and one of the things i really love about that bad ending is that it is like the first like five minutes of the the normal or good ending to the game basically you have that whole you're scene right. where you're like walking up to the school and everyone sort of has this conversation and it just sort of like stops and there's nothing momentous about it like you don't see the fall happen it's just like this is the choice you made and it's like you have like the life you have no longer has any real meaning like like it's just like yeah. there's no point to see anything else like everyone has drifted apart and the game's just sort of like eh, it's over and I think if you want to back up a little bit there you also right before you make the decision that's when Igus comes back because she's yeah. been out for the month of December yeah. which so if you didn't get through Tartarus uh, that part in November like I, I I went through all of that block in November that would suck if Igus was on your team yeah yeah that's but anyway what I was gonna say is so and 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 I love how you see her in that scene and she just doesn't understand these conclusions her friends have come to. And that's that's when I realized I guess is like the greatest character ever. Yeah, she is. Because yeah, she is. Because she is this. She, her decision. This decision is such a uniquely human one, and she has this non-human perspective. And if you don't have that perspective, you don't. The, the game doesn't work. Yeah. Because you have to have that. I mean, it would work, but it wouldn't work as well as it does because it's, you know, logically the logical robotic thing to do would be to kill Ryoji because yeah. then you can live in, uh, you quote unquote happiness because ignorance is bliss. You know, that's if you're a robot, if you're an outsider, that's what you would understand. Yeah. There's no pain, no no pain, no fear, no suffering. But that's not the human way to do it, and that's not yeah. the thing to do if you're mortal. Because if you ignore that, as we've seen through the game, and now as we know, if you get to December 31st, you know this. If you don't, if you ignore your mortality, you're casting off part of who you are. Yeah, and you can't live. You can't look. You know, you can't look at yourself and your existence in totality. And if you can't do that, why live? Yeah. You know, if you can't die and if you can't know you're going to, why live? Yeah. And so I want to say, and this this becomes even stronger when we get into the January part. I, I, I have these notes up. I To deal with the game, I would just like get into this Word doc I had open and yeah. just write because it's like I had to process this somehow. Yeah. But like, I want to say, you know, my greatest fear in life has always been death. It's something I haven't known how to approach. It's something that always terrifies me when I think about. And I'll honestly say, get into that December 31st choice. And, and going through this was the first time in my life I have ever been able to look at death and think of death rationally, 
look at it and not feel terrified and feel mm-hmm. like this is something that has to happen. And and really, the, the January, which we're going to get into soon, got me to an even further point of enlightenment, I feel like. But just December, just opening up where I could think about these issues and not feel totally, t- feel scared, but not scared in that same paralyzing way. That's fascinating. How, yeah. can a, how can a game do that? How can a story do that to you? It's a story. It's yeah. not, you know, that's crazy. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you had an experience like that. Where yeah, it's just like, I mean, for me, I think, because I think, like, like, I've had, like, within my life, I've had a very, like, like different relationship with death than I think a lot of people. But, like, so, like, I, I've, like, when I was really young, I feel like I kind of reached that point where I was, like, I had sort of come to terms with mortality, I guess. I don't know how to, to phrase that. Like, I had, I had, like, thought about death a lot and, like, like the implications of that and what that is and what that means. And it sort of, like, really heavily influenced, like, my personal life and my perspective on this stuff. And so, like, I had... I, th- I feel like I had kind of come to that point of, like, a really long time ago because of stuff I went through. And so, yeah, like, coming up to the December choice, like, I definitely see where it is in that choice where that was really significant because I feel like I came to that through, like, a personal thing in my past a long time ago, and this kind of definitely brought memories of that up, but it was definitely the January section, and then reaching into the end of the game, where it's sort of like, even if you have, like, sort of come to terms with that, the game, like, sort of, one, like, the game sort of, like, reiterates, like, this, like, it it reprocesses it for you, where you're like, yes, like, this is how I feel about death. Like, this is, like like, a good way to feel about this and think about this and sort of like try to process it and, and to sort of own it in a way. And then like with January, it sort of like makes you realize after having made that decision, it sort of reaffirms what you like about living, you know, like outside of like dying. It makes you like remember how precious your relationships with people are and, and how important that aspect is. And this is and all then reaching into like the end of the game where it like sort of like makes you experience that almost vicariously where you just like, it's so sad. Like, it's so sad and so, like, bittersweet and beautiful, you know? Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting. Like, I think it's very... It goes from macroscopic to microscopic, where December is very much doing this overall philosophical view of it. And then January takes that and molds it and gets it further and further down yeah. until it's something so intensely relatable, it just breaks you at a yeah. certain point. It breaks you down so you can build yourself back up mm-hmm. after playing the game, maybe. But I think also, you know, that bad ending. I, I had a note here that I think... This is when really, when I say December is when I realized Persona 3 was my favorite game ever. That's because you get to that bad ending, and I think that's when the brilliance of the game and its length and everything kicks in, because I hadn't realized the arcs of these characters were as significant as they had been. Especially, with, did Junpei really hit you, like for me, like there? Junpei hit me in the, in actually in the, um, the Chidori stuff, but everyone else hit me in the yeah. bad ending. Well, I, well, I'm saying like when you get to the bad ending and you have that walk up to yes, school with right, Junpei... Yeah. Like you, like it just makes me realize. It makes you really appreciate the performance that McMignona does for it. Like I, I have obviously I haven't played the Japanese game, so I can't speak to that side of the voice acting. But he so embodies that that character arc, and that's something so rare, especially in RPGs, where it's like a lot of times it feels like you know, like it's not necessarily usually. I would not imagine this to be the voice actor's fault, but usually the direction's fault of like the character just feels like more or less the same character across the whole game because it's like they don't own the character arc. And in here, it's like when you get to that bad ending, you're like, this is who Junpei was at the beginning of the game. Right. Like, before that, he has changed so much, especially because of all the Chidori stuff, that it's just like, oh my god. Like, like, because I think they even have like a line pointing out like, like, think like Yukari is like, you know, that's Junpei or whatever it is. And it's just like, oh my god. Like, yeah, that's, 
who Junpei used to be before we went through this like year of shit. So it's like, yeah, it's like Junpei and all these other characters, they've grown and developed in just the gradual, like real yeah. life. You don't change overnight. Yeah. And it's just so human and honest. And and then you go back to the beginning and you see it's so stark, but it never felt stark. Mm-hmm. Like o- overall, it doesn't feel stark until you go back to the beginning yeah. at that bad ending. But yeah, Vic Mignogna, I want to say, I think he is one of the greatest living voice actors. If you watch him on Full Metal Alchemist especially, that is unbelievably great work from him but uh, even better to me in Persona 3 because as, for the reasons you just said that is a tremendous performance yeah yeah I think I think that and 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 uh, and I guess and maybe a couple others we'll talk about but I mean when you talk about the best performances in the in the two Persona games we've played yeah and talked about just uh, some of the best voice acting I've ever heard in any language yeah yeah it's really it's really phenomenal yeah yeah um so yeah and I, so that's that's you know the December part but then January, and I remember you talked about on that podcast we did, where you said, January, everything changes. And I remember yeah. what changes... Everything is, changes. changes. The, mu- the music, yeah. all the, a lot of the visual styles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a new part of Tartars to explore, and you feel different. That's the biggest thing. It's not just the stylistic changes. It's that you go into January with a totally different mindset. Yeah. Going into Tartarus is no longer this thing you do because you want to explore. It's because you have a goal. Mm-hmm. And you are determined, and I love that the living with determination theme becomes yeah, the yeah. theme of the dorm. Yeah, like the, the like one of my favorite parts of January, and it's just such a small thing, but it ch- changes the feel of the game so much. Is the fact that they change the song that plays when you're at school, the song that plays when you're in the dorm, and the song that plays when you're going around the city. Like yep. they're all different, and you know, like the 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 school song has changed once. Like it changes when it gets to like spring or whatever, yeah. changing seasons. And that's the only other time one of those songs has changed. Because you've been hearing the same songs, you, you know, every single time you went out, it's like, okay, when Moon's Reaching Out the Stars plays, like, every single time for that, like, whole, like, 100-hour fucking game. When you come back home, Lotus Juice serenades you. Exactly. And, but now, yeah, like, they, they take and they rejigger to make a, like, more sort of, like, almost, like, invigorating version of the sad song in the game that plays living with determination that plays during the really sad scenes every time you go do the dying young man social link that fucking song plays every goddamn time because it's so depressing and now they yeah they rejigger it like like make it a slight like it's still like a sad song but it's a little more upbeat it's got like it's got more of an oomph to it what i feel what i feel like it is is it's the embodiment of your emotions as the player i feel like you feel that before you hear the music but when you hear the music it feels right because that's what you're feeling and that's why shoji meguro is so important to these games because he knows what the character what the player feels and he puts it into music yeah that's amazing you know i always one of my favorite quotes about music is uh from michael jacchino when he was talking about scoring lost and he said, the goal of music composing should not be to tell the audience what to feel. It should be to embody what they're feeling because of the drama. Yeah. And that's Persona 3 at the end there, is that you have this feeling of determination where you are scared and sad about what's going to happen, but you are also determined because what else are you going to do? Yeah. And you have this newfound determination and vitality for life, and that's the song that plays. Yeah, yeah. And then also, like, when you're at school, and I'm pretty sure the, the City 1-2 are also... They take thematic stuff or like from like, memories of yeah you. from Kimino Kyoku, which is sort yeah. of this is the ending credit song. I love the city version. Yeah, yeah, it's so much. The city version, I would just go exploring and just listen to it, and it's so beautiful and sad. Yeah. Oh God, it's so great. Yeah, like the, the, just like it's such a small touch, but it changes so much of the feeling of that section of the game, where it's just like yeah, because because before also the music was so upbeat and happy everywhere. Like like there's such there's such happy fun songs, and then it's like all of a sudden it's like. 
shit got serious and you know like it's January so it's winter like there's snow everywhere like the trees are dying and stuff it's just like which I did not sadly get to see because they don't oh, have that in the portable oh, version well, okay yes in the, the good version of the game right. the real version of the game the, the version of the game that has a soul yes like you see that like that's like the whole city has changed because it's winter and you know like I, I think we said this when we talked about The Last of Us because The Last of Us like plays with this and it, but it's like one of the most common like thematic metaphorical things to do with this like well, it's the year we do the season spring is birth and then summer is life and then fall is aging and then winter is death you know like like Persona 3 definitely does that but it's like hey this fucking story is about death so it feels really appropriate oh, yeah. and especially really appropriate that when it gets to winter that is by far the heaviest hitting part of the game because it's like this is what everything has been building up to yeah so yeah um, but anyway January there's so much good stuff there in January like just uh, realizing you know the cult that's coming in and you realize yeah, yeah, is behind the mix. Yeah, yeah you realize is behind it and you also realize that's kind of what would happen in this scenario mm-hmm. if someone were able to introduce that idea before it came yeah and um, the, the, yeah, like the whole city sort of terrified because of the uh, apathy syndrome stuff yep. has gotten crazy and there's just like in the in, in the in the portable version, like, how do you get around the cities? It's still just, like, you pick the sections and then, like, uh-huh. just drag the cursor across. Like, do they have people that are just, like, apathy syndrome people just passed out? Like Yes, they okay, do. And okay. they're, uh, and you can just click on them and they'll say, ooh, ah. Uh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because that's how it, in the Persona 3 Fest, it's always a touch I like. That it's definitely, it's, like, it's there for the uh, main section of the game where every time it gets close to a full moon, there's just, there's like, more, yep. yeah, there's just, like, people passed out in the street. There were, like, it. four or five outside your dorm yeah, in, uh, yeah. in January. But, yeah, but the, honestly, and I can't, be- I didn't know when I went into this, but I, I read it later, and I can't believe this, that, that this social link was not in the original version of the game. Yeah. But January, just, what is most significant to me is Igus's social link. Yeah, like, it, it's, yeah, it's something really crazy that it was something introduced in the Fest game, because it's, like... I can't even imagine, like, I don't think I would love Persona 3 nearly as much if that social link wasn't there. Right. Because it especially affects the way that ending works a whole lot. They oh, yeah. build up this really significant relationship with Igus and sort of, like, she's, you get to, like, fulfill this, like, her character arc of becoming effectively human. Yeah, and it's just such a great social link, and I want to say, I, on, in my final play, when I, uh, my final play session of the game was I sat down at about 11 o'clock at night, got on my Vita, and did not stop. This is something, Sean, you've talked about, about finishing a game when the sun's coming up. Yeah, I finished at yeah. 6 a.m. Okay, yeah, that, I, that with Persona 3 as well. Where... I never thought I would actually do that, but I did it. And it was just that at 11 at that night, I just I was I was drawn to Persona, and I'm like, yeah. I'm not getting up until I finish this fucking game. Yeah, it's, it's that thing where it's like, I really should not start doing this. Right. Whatever it is right now, it is way too late to start this. It's like... Fuck it, I'm gonna. I'm not sleeping tonight. And I want to say, in that final play session, I cried at three different points. And I have, I have never actually cried watching a piece of media. Mm -hmm. I like teared up a little bit, you know, something where like, oh, that's really sad. A tear rolls down my cheek. You know, the one movie tear, that kind of thing. The sexy cry. Right. I feel really misty eyed. But the first time, I literally, I literally broke down and cried playing Persona Three. And I will say, there's specific stuff in my life that made me this game so yeah. relevant to my life. But it's when it's I guess Nine, I guess Social Link Nine, which is where she basically lays out the philosophy she has realized about life and death, and why life is beautiful because death exists. Yeah. And good God, I'm tearing up right now talking about it. That scene is so fucking beautifully written, and just so great. 
and and just that base philosophy. And I was thinking my entire time about you know, and I'll get into this later. I, I think I'll save this discussion for the end of the game when we get there. But the specific revelations I had playing this game, but that was the first point. And mm-hmm. uh, but then then it's January thirty first, and uh, at that point I knew there was going to be a lot of cutscene stuff. So I set myself up at my laptop with YouTube clips open. <laughs> Yeah. Just so, like any Tartarus stuff is the same in portable and you don't lose anything. Yeah. Um, but then whenever there were cutscenes or stuff, I just watched it on YouTube and scrubbed through on the portable version. But, yeah, so for all intents and purposes, I saw the fest. I played the fest yeah. ending. Like, it's kind of funny. The final cutscenes, I hit X on my Vita in time with the person who was playing it on the video. So <laughs> I felt like I was playing it. Nice. But uh, in any case, um, yeah, January 31st. One of the first things I want to say before we get into all the thematic stuff here, okay. the showmanship. Of this ending, I thought Persona Four had a pretty damn like terrific ending, just from the stance of just pure showmanship, what you get to do, yeah. how cool it is. Persona Three blows it out of the fucking water. Yeah, where first you go up, you go up the last part of Tartarus, which, by the way, that that last block of Tartarus is my favorite. I love the design of it. Yeah, um, and I also I was happy you get out of that Technicolor nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, but January thirty first, you fight Jin, you fight Takaya. All those are just fucking great scenes. That motherfucker. I know. To fucking Takaya. Uh, he's that's another great voice. Yeah, yeah, it is. I love him. I love him. He's Takaya. a great character. Yep. And I should say, Takaya was the only boss I died in the entire game, and it was because I got sloppy. It was not a hard boss yeah, I didn't Yeah, think. like I I remember like all the the times you fight Stray Guy I always thought were really easy. Yeah. Like my my favorite fucking boss fight in the whole game is the first time you fight Stray Guy, and I think you fight all three of them at the same time. It's just like I had because uh, you can get those fusion spells and I just had like Thor and whoever the other dude is you can have with him to do Thunder Call and kill all of them on my first turn with like just my first attack so nice. they all died it was great yeah but it's kind of funny you know Persona 4 is a game and this is something I love about Persona 4 and I actually think there's a strength of it over 3 is that each boss battle feels like such an event in yeah, 4 yeah. And uh, they're all so big. And I obviously had these habits in Persona 4 of, you, you, you Kiko, you heal every goddamn turn. Whether, yeah. you, whether I need it or not, you are healing. Yeah. And, and in Persona 3, that habit died away pretty fast because I didn't need that. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of Persona 3, you need to make sure Yukari is healing all the time yeah. at a certain point. Because, you know, if you, you, uh, I don't think Takai is all that hard. But he will use, like, Meji Dolan or something. Yeah. Meji Dolan. Or however you say it, yeah. and uh, that killed me. But anyway, so that was kind of frustrating. But I'd been saving a lot, so it was fine. But yeah, so you get through that. You get through Takaya Jin, and then shit goes crazy. Yeah, the, those animated cutscenes where Nick's—I guess first you fight Nix. Yeah, uh, he comes down, and that fight is great because it's got the battle for everyone's souls. The my favorite boss music in any video game. Like I just love. It's so great. It's such a great. It's such a great song, but I just also love that they rejigger. The aria for the soul, the poem for everyone's soul song that plays every time you go into the velvet room, especially like the, the with you too. The order we play these games with Persona Four and then Persona Three, where it's like you heard heard that song so fucking much, and then to have it like be turned into this awesome rockin' like battle theme just feels so appropriate because it's so epic. And that's actually something I wanted to talk about with Persona Three is so many of those elements that are in Three and Four feel so much more tight in Three. Yeah, like the Velvet Room is so much better integrated at the end there. Yeah, yeah for, more fully. I don't want to say better, but mm-hmm. fully integrated. Like with the Aria of the Soul coming back in for that like hour long fight you have with yeah. Nyx. How long did that one take? That's a long fight. It's a pretty long. Like I would say an hour and a half. That's pretty, I, just, I didn't I mean, mean an hour yeah. and a half. It took me probably forty five minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely long. And I really like that boss fight because. Particularly like the, it's the, fun. the first section of it where it moves through the different phases and you have to 
like we're to use your knowledge of all the shadows you've been fighting to like okay this guy's going to be like weak against ice now or yeah. whatever well that's the other thing so yeah. not only is the velvet room coming back there but the arcana is coming back in a way it yeah, doesn't yeah. in four um and then you know you fight next you have those great cutscenes, and then you go to the velvet room and it does the same thing four does where you have the procession of your social links yeah uh, and the and the card of the universe, and, and that's one of the and this is this is another one of the things that it makes it in so many ways Persona Three in terms of like how they handled narrative stuff feels like it should be a sequel to Persona Four because one they go way crazier with who has personas you know because they have a robot with a persona a dog with a persona which that feels like something you do in a sequel right and then it's also in Persona Four you get you get the Arcana of the world which is an actual actual Arcana. Arcana of the Universe, as far as I'm aware, that's total fucking made up. I don't think that's a thing. It's like, dude, you have all the power of the universe. Pretty powerful motherfucker. Yeah. It's a bit bigger than the world. Right. And so you get that. Uh, the guy who voices um, Igor is phenomenal in that scene. So yeah. crazy. This is the card of the universe. The universe. It's great. Uh, but anyway, and then again, talking about just pure showmanship, yeah. the final battle, where first, I love that cutscene where it plays, like, da, da, yeah. da, as you're going through the eye of death. Yeah, you're like, yeah, you're like flying up into fucking, yeah, like Unicron. And then literally you fight the embodiment of death. Yeah. And it's it's an egg, I love that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that final battle is Burn My Dread, the, the final battle version, which is yeah, so yeah. great. And then all your... also that, like, because that's the song he's listening to in the first cutscene when he right. moves to Tatsumi Port Island too, yep. so... I love that, nice and that's that's what you're. I mean, "Burn My Dread" has to me has such thematic ripples throughout the game yeah. as a song, and that's what you're doing at that point. Mm-hmm. And and I love that all your friends get up, and they are the reason you're able to do finish yeah. that fight. Is they all bring you back to life or bring your life power back? Yeah. And then you put on the great seal, and then you're kind of kept in the dark for a little while, but you sort yeah. of. Hey, but yeah, that's one of my favorite parts about this ending is that like yeah, he you get your life back up. Mm-hmm. from your friends and then but when you cast the great seal you see the price for the great seal is exactly the number of health points you have which I think is just a fantastic touch mm-hmm. like beginning the like foreshadowing towards the ending like like with right. the real ending of the game yeah and so that's just great and you have that great cutscene where uh, Tartarus collapses and you yeah. come back oh well, I should say there's that scene where Ryoji slash Pharaohs he's doing the Pharaohs voice more yeah um, although that's the same voice actor right yeah, just, yeah it is yeah. I didn't interesting touch it's also because one it's Yuri Lowenthal who's Yosuke but then he's also he's the guy who does just the like random normal like Orpheus oh really yeah the main character it's the same thing in Japanese and I'm pretty sure he's like the same voice who's doing it for the movie okay that'll be interesting so so if they keep that for like the Persona 3 dub I don't know how that's gonna work but (laughs) yeah but in any case um uh so yeah, you you do the great seal. You have the the Tartarus collapse, and uh, and everyone seeing the protagonist come back, and then you go to March, and and the March sequences for me is where Persona Three really just. I already said it became yeah. my favorite game, but now it became like my favorite thing. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I definitely agree. Like where it said like January was where I felt like okay, this is something really amazing. Then it's like once you get to March, it's like that's the culmination of all of that. Because, you know, Persona 4 does this, and I, I don't want to take anything away from Persona 4 yeah. because it has total thematic right to do this too, where you see all your social links. You mm-hmm. get to go revisit them one more time yeah. and wrap them up. And for Persona 4, that works perfectly too because you're leaving the town. Yeah. But in Persona 3, it hits you so much harder because I think, I mean, at what point did you figure out you were going to die? I mean, I've, I've, I was pretty 100% certain on it when I saw the cost of the Great Seal. Right, I was too. like, that's it. But then, like, 
you know, they do put such a fucking amazing touch where, like, you have those first days, like, those few days in March, and it's like, you have the thing where it's like, you feel really tired, like, every time you go back to the dorm or whatever, it's like, you just need to get to sleep, and you're just like, oh, no, man. Yeah. Like you can but see, you, it, have you these... definitely see it going on. But I love that the game never tips its hand on it. Like you right. can tell what's going to happen. I was even wondering, yeah. is this like a dream sequence kind of mm-hmm. thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you go through everyone, and um, second moment I cry in the game is when you talk to Yukinari's mother. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the because of the young man, dying young man, social link. Because I think there are some just terrific social links in this game. Yeah, really, my. Was... My favorite social links in the two Persona games are in Persona 3. I, I, I will talk about that later. But, um, and that young, dying young man social link hits you so hard every time. I definitely teared up at that one a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Especially near the end of it. Uh, and then having that scene where she... I just love how she kind of has accepted death the way, same way you have over the course of yeah. the game. Where she is still able to be so proud of her son and, and understand like how terrible this is, but also how right it is in a certain sense. Yeah. Because he still got to live this full life, and that mm-hmm. he got to die happy because you, he had this friend. Yeah, yeah, and he got to give him his story and mm-hmm. everything, yeah. It's so, so beautiful. That scene is so beautiful. But all the revisitations of your of your different friends. Like, uh, oh God, what's another one that really hit me hard? I'll, you go with one. Of, of <laughs> fucking Maya, Mayumi Sensei. That's... I mean, it wasn't really emotionally. Wait, wait, wait. It wasn't depressing. Have, I, Did you not see the Maya? Oh, the fuck, I missed you it. You didn't. I, I was going to warn you about this, but like, I haven't seen you for a while. I, I did not remember to because I didn't want to tip my hand to tell you. Like, you have to go online. Who don't for you? sure, yeah. Maya was. No, you don't have to go online. You have to go to the faculty room in the school. <sighs> oh, How the fuck did I miss this? I don't know because that was the one. Because because that's another thing they really they do really well in the game. I love that. Like, they don't. As far as I believe, they never like. I mean, it's pretty obvious, but they never f- like tip, fully tip their hand at who Maya is, right? Like, they never straight up say it. This is the it's, online game social link. Yeah, yeah, the online game social link where it's your your teacher, your homeroom teacher, Mayumi. And, like, you know, you have your whole thing where it's like, you know she's a teacher. And so that sort of puts you in your head that's like, well, maybe she's a Gekkuken High teacher. Like, you don't know. And then it's like, they, they definitely, like... I think the one that, like, where you really figure it out is he says, like, oh, there's, like, this really cute boy in my right. class or whatever, and it's, like, it's so sad, like, his parents died or something. In the past, you're like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, so it's, like, I remember when I got to that section of the game, I was just, like, because they hide it really well, because you have to go to the, the fucking the faculty room. It's not like everyone else, you know, is just kind of standing in their spots. You don't go online for this one, because that's how you normally engage in the social link. So I was, like, looking around for, everywhere, it's, like, there has got to be one of these scenes for fucking Maya. There has to be, because that was my favorite social link. The whole fucking game is so great. And then that scene is amazing. Like, like this okay. must be online somewhere. You have to watch it, but it's, yeah. it's fucking awesome. Okay, I'll watch that one. Here's one of... This is an interesting thing, is that I thought some social links in this game I really loved up to a point, and then I thought they petered out. And one of those is Bebe, the foreign exchange student. Yeah, I never did much with his... Okay, he has, I think, a really... I completely forgot about him. Yeah, I think he has a really good one up until maybe six or seven, and what happens with him is that he makes this decision that he's going to knit, or, you know, sew a kimono that's really cool to prove to his uncle that he can stay in Japan and, like, Mm -hmm. show the beauty of Japan through this. And it seems like an interesting direction, but really that's the last story point, and the last three or four social links are just reiterating that. Yeah. And it's it's really it's bummed me out because yeah, I, it's, that it, I think potential. that's a problem that a lot of particularly the Persona Three social links had, from what I remember, is that they felt like a lot of the events were really padded. 
Yeah. And, like, Persona 4 definitely has those two, but a lot of, the, like, I think, like, Persona 4 in general had better social links, even if some of the Persona 3 ones were particularly exceptional. Right. And, and But in any, in any case, the thing that happens, though, is that Bebe's last event is you get this letter from him, as you do with a lot of people, and that letter is great. It's what it's what Social Link 10 should have been for yeah. him. It's, it's, it's the right culmination of that, and I was happy I took the time to finish that Social Link. That one hit me really hard. Um, the little girl at the shrine, phenomenal yeah, ending like, where you talk to her dad. Yeah. That's another, that's another one that, like... Because, like, what makes this section of the game, like, it's, because it's definitely kind of hit me with Persona 4, because you're leaving the town, and it's like, oh, it's kind of sad. With Persona 3, the fact that, like, by the time you get to that point, it'd be pretty hard not to realize the fact that your character's dying. Like, this is definitely the section of the game where it was just, like, it really hit me emotionally, because it's like, you know, with Maiko, she's like, I'm, someday I'm gonna marry you, you know, because, like, obviously that would never even happen, but, like, you know, she's infatuated with you. She has that sort of, like, ideal in her mind... And, like, you know, fucking, like, he's going to die. Like, you know that. And it's, like, for so many of... It's, like, the social links that were looking towards your future were the ones that really hit me. I think probably, honestly, the one that hit me the hardest was Yukari's. Because it was, like... Oh, yeah. That one was tough. I mean, there's a lot of stuff with, like, Yukari that I don't even want to necessarily talk about it too much because it really ties into the answer for me. So you haven't finished that yet. But it's, like, with her... Like, I guess, like, with my... Like, the way I played the game was, like, I definitely really focused on Yukari as being the love interest. Because I feel like the game kind of pushes you in that direction anyways. Where she was sort of, like, my main love interest. And I really liked Yukari as a character and sort of, like, focused on her a whole lot. Even though, you know, I I obviously liked a lot of the the other romanceable social links other than Yuko. But then, like, eventually you hit that point where you're, like... Especially when you have the social link with Igus, where you have, like, this whole thing where it's, like all of a sudden you're kind of moving towards Igus. Like, maybe not necessarily romantically, maybe, like, who knows, but it's, like, definitely your, like, focus isn't on Yukari as much. I don't know, I thought, like, that was an interesting dynamic that they definitely kind of play on in the answer. But it was, like, with Yukari, you know, you had this, like, romantic relationship. You've helped her through some of her family issues, and she's, like, talking about, like, you know, I'm gonna, like, like fix, patch things up with my mother and all this stuff. It's, like, very clear, like, she wants to, like, you, you want to have this, like, relationship to continue with her, and that's the part that, like, is it's the hardest for me is, like, we can't, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I know that we can't. Like, me as the player, as the, the viewer, just, like, that's never going to happen. And that's, like, the fucking saddest thing of all. Just, like, right. that future cannot be. And, and yet, it's also so beautiful because yeah. you see what you meant to her and what she means to you. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, you've had that, built that relationship, but it's, like, you know, you know how much pain she's going to go through. You know that it's, like... God, like, I'm going to die. Like, there's, like, this future cannot be. Like, it's, like, it's just impossible. Yeah. It's really, yeah, super fucking sad. It, yeah, it, that was great. But they're, they're all, all those last yeah. events are so good. And yeah, it, that fucking, that part of the game hit me so hard, just going through, talking to all those people. Oh, even yeah. though I most... I shaking playing yeah, it. Like, even though most of the social links in Persona 3, I didn't really love. Like, I think I only, I really, really liked Igus's. I loved Maya's. I think the Dying Young Man social link was fucking great. And, and I like I like Yukari's, I liked uh, Mitsuru's, even though I never finished Mitsuru's. Like, those are ones I really liked, but it was like, most of the other ones, like, Kinji, who gives a fuck? Kazuya, who gives a fuck? Like, like they're, they're not bad people, they're not, like, terrible social links, but it's like, I didn't feel like I really connected with those characters. But then when you get to the end of the game and you're talking to them again, you're like, oh, that's, that was kind of fun. Like, like I did... You know, Kazi, you fucking idiot. Like, why did you... We're so dumb trying to fuck up your knee so much. Like, you goddamn idiot. But it's like you've seen this relationship and how important you are to these people. 
like obviously fictional characters, but like you f- you feel how important you are, and like you feel the strength of that bond, and that's only it's so much more heightened by the fact that you know you're going to die. And I think that's actually that's that's so true. And I I I, I liked the social links more consistently than you did throughout the game, but I definitely agree. They are at their most powerful when they're wrapping up here at the end. Yeah. Because you really... The, the, the cumulative weight that we were talking about before that hits you with Persona 3 is it just... It gets better with every passing second. Yeah. And then it all comes together in just such a perfect package in in those last March days. Yeah. Um, and yeah, meeting all these people again and just feeling like you lived that life. That's what I said about Persona 4 when I played it and said it was my favorite game of all time was... You know, you really feel like you lived a year in this person's life, yeah. and that's very profound. And again, don't want to take anything yeah, away from Persona, Persona Four. Still fucking awesome. Yeah, um, but with Persona Three, it hits you even harder because not only did you live this life, but this life is ending. In, yeah, and and I think Persona Three narrows in on that so much more because there isn't. Well, there's this sense that you're leaving the town, and that's kind of a bummer in Persona Four. Yeah, you know that in th- fucking Golden Week is in three months, and hey, we're gonna have a crazy fighting tournament. I play Persona Four Arena. Right, but either way, there's never that same sense of melancholy where it's a little melancholy because you love these people. And you're, they're not going to be consistently in your lives, but no one's going away. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's definitely there is still. I mean, it's one of the things. It's like to me, it's why death is sad. It's, it's not just like the fact that the person's dead. Like that's not what makes the, the the part of the death really, really sad. It's that you never see them again. Yeah, it, it's it's that yeah. you had this future. It's like you had this like this possibility, this hope of like. There's still, like, this chance here, like, hey, we're going to, like, hang out. I'm going to see you again. There is this future there. And then when that person passes away, like, you still see and kind of expect and desire that future. And, like, sometimes you forget that that future can't be and, like, you kind of remember it. And it's sort of, like, just this gaping, empty hole there. That's, like, every time you think about it, you see it. And it's just there. And it's so depressing because it's so empty. And that's what's so sad about death is like this possibility that has been cut off it's not just the death itself that's sad it's the it's the future that no longer exists that's the part that really hurts you absolutely yeah and so like when you're when you're leaving in persona 4 like even though you might never see those people again you could like there's always that chance like they're not dead you know there's always this hope with death there is no hope right and that's and, and I'll talk about that a little bit because honestly the thing that Persona 3 about it that hit me the hardest is is the answer it gives to what you do when you are the person left behind. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, yeah, so I just think all that cumulative impact. And then the other thing I want to talk about here you know, versus Persona 4 and why Persona 3 just is angled a little differently and how it pitches those final yeah. moments, those, those, that final hours, you know. Yeah. The stuff in March is not hours, but you know, the final stuff in March is that there's also Persona 4 is about people who are just naturally friends like people who are yeah. meant to be together and I think that's a really cool kind of thing to explore because that's you meet people like that in life yeah, yeah. you know sometimes you just hit you just meet someone and you're friends instantly and that's how it goes mm-hmm. and that's that's a great thing but sometimes you have a much harder path towards that and those are sometimes your most meaningful relationships yeah, so a lot of times you're just thrown together with someone and you don't this is not someone you normally would expect you would like one have like any sort of relationship with but then, like, the fact that you just have to be together, you, like, sort of just grow to respect each other. And I think that's the kind of relationships Persona 3 explores. Yeah. And I think one of the great things about the, the team sees in this game is that all of them, you know, under natural circumstances, they would never have become friends. Yeah. It, like, you know, maybe maybe the main character, Yukari and Junpei, would be kind of school buds. Yeah. But that would be as far as it went. Right. And, and Yukari wouldn't ever hang out with Junpei on her own. 
Yeah. But by the end, Yukari and Junpei have this, you know, deep respect and understanding for each other. Mm-hmm. And so I love that scene where, you know, Mitsuru is giving the speech to the school and she remembered, they all, their memories come back. Yeah. And they realize how important they are to each other. And I feel like the cumulative impact of that is realizing that, and I talked about this uh, on, on a previous podcast, I think, but, you know, the, the path to friendship for these people is difficult. Yeah. It is just fraught with tension and pain and suffering. And so they are brought together by bad things happening to them and they are the only people they can talk to. They're kids. They're trying to deal with the most horrible stuff imaginable. Yeah. And that's why they become friends. And I feel like the weight of that comes so to life in those final scenes, and especially that scene where Mitsuru, you know, jumps off the stage, and they all get together, and they're going to go see their friend, and he's about to die. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and you don't know that's what's going to happen. But either way, that's there's something even more beautiful to that to me than even the stuff in Persona 4, where I think Persona 4 consistently is a beautiful image of friendship, yeah. but in Persona 3, it hits me even harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And then... And in the last scene, and I'm going to be honest, I don't know if I can get through talking about the last scene, but because uh, that last scene hit me harder than anything has ever hit yeah. me that is yeah. fictional. Um, yeah. You are, you get, you're on the roof, you're lying in Igus's arms, uh, cherry blossoms are coming by, it's such a beautiful, serene image, yeah. and you know even before anyone starts talking that this is it. Yeah, yeah, because it's like you've had those messages coming up over and over and over again. You're you're really tired. Like you just have to you have to rest. Yeah, and and yeah, and now you're just like kind of effectively collapsed. Like she yeah. doesn't realize it, but it's like yeah, like you you can't really move anymore. Right. And I guess has come to this point where, and basically to me, I mean, let's let's just recap what happens in the scene because I guess basically yeah. gives this epiphany of what she's learned. And I feel like this is something I want to say about Persona Three is that Persona Three consistently does stuff. That if they were doing it with any lesser level of skill, wouldn't work. Yeah. And I think this is a scene that would not work were it executed with any lesser level of skill. Because it's, I guess, kind of delivering the moral of the game yeah. to, the, to the face of the player. But it works because you've been, you've had such a long time spent with Igus. You've lived the life of this character, and what Igus says is so rich with nuance and layers to it. And she's kind of figuring it out yeah. on the spot as she yeah. says it. And it. Yeah, it feels like a very natural epiphany for that character to have. It yeah. doesn't feel like the writer is telling you, "Hey, this is what this game is about." It's right. like this character realizing what her life is about, right. and the fact that she is human now. Yeah, and and again, it's so important because. You know, she starts as a robot, so you can have that stance on life outside of life. Yeah. But then she she has to become living basically by the end to fulfill this role. And 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 why that scene hits me is because it is the perfect intersection of everything this game is about, which is it's one character dying and going away forever, and one character who knows they are going to still be here, and each of them is recognizing their roles. Yeah. And you know, you do it by telling her, you know, don't cry. You put it, you know, you're trying to be comforting. You're trying to say this is okay. And, and really what, what, what's there is it doesn't have to say anything about your character because you are that character. You yeah. played him. And you know that you can lie here and be peaceful because you just saw the life you lived. Yeah. And that was the impact to me. Like half of it was not anything that actually happens in the scene. It's just that feeling of only a game can do this. Yeah. The, Persona yeah, 3, the Persona 3 movie will not be able to recapture this. Mm-hmm. But it's because you lived that and you're vicariously dying through this character, you, you feel what it means to die in that moment. And that... You know, you have that option of close your eyes, and, and that's immediately what I pressed because yeah. it's that's I'm ready because yeah. I just went through all this. I saw all these people, and it's so beautiful, and I lived this, and I can be happy, and I have no regrets, and that's it, and that's death, and that's what death means, and that's the message of the game. But on the flip side of that is Igus, and to me, what Igus's whole arc becomes by the end is 
what do you do when you're the person left behind? And that protagonist means so much to her. And, and she realizes a way to, I don't want to say let go, but know how to live after that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, what, what hit me so hard is, is the, the word protect. That is this, you know, thematic word to the to the game. Yeah. And she's always saying she wants to protect, and at first she doesn't know what that means. That's a really human arc. Is that we all we all want to protect our loved ones from death. We want to make sure they won't. But at a certain point, there is no protection from something like yeah. death. So protection becomes something different to Igus. And when she says she'll protect him, my interpretation of that, my reading, and what broke me playing that is that she's saying, "You can be safe. You can die. It's okay." By protecting you, it means you know. I'm not going to forget you. You're not going to disappear from this world. Yeah. You're still here in me. I carry you with me, and I you know, honor and respect you, and you meant something to me. And what you meant to me doesn't go away when you go away. And fuck if that is not... That's life. Yeah. That, is the, that scene is the perfect... That's the meaning of life. Yeah. Is that you meet people, and you love them, and you have them in your life, and they give you meaning, and when they're gone, their meaning doesn't stop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me... Like, like, I definitely, I, I kind of have the same interpretation, but from, like, a slightly different angle. And this, right. This is a little kind of influenced by having played the answer. But, like, for me, I guess, I don't think, well, I guess is saying that, I don't think she fully realizes that. Because I don't, no, I, I, yeah, I guess this doesn't, like, you agree, I guess doesn't realize that the main character's dying, right? No, I thought she did. No, I, I, I really don't think she does. Like, I don't think, like... Oh, I thought totally because she says, close your eyes, it's okay. Well, I, I think she thinks he's just going to rest. Like, I don't oh, think I she... Oh, I think that. I don't think she has any real expectation of him dying, but like I, th- but I still think the game says that exact same thing. But the, the Kimi no Kyoku, that song says that. Oh, absolutely. That is like if you look up the lyrics to that song, that is exactly that. Like, and you know my my uh, plan was that I was going to read the lyrics while I was watching the credits online, mm-hmm. and I was I uh, I had to put the Vita down because I was over in the corner just. Uh, yeah, that would be that, that would be yeah that would be hard to do like those like even when I look up like when I like because I'll. But I've, usually when I listen to the song, I'll actually just, like, look up a video on YouTube that has, like, the lyrics on it while the song plays. Because the lyrics are fucking amazing. And I've never looked them up, so... It is because the lyrics, that song, I guess, is singing that song to the main character. Yeah. And it is effectively what you just said. But, like, and that's kind of my interpretation is that, I guess... And that's and I think maybe that's why I think that ending... Well, you see that ending as being really beautiful. I see it as being really tragic and sad in a lot of ways. It's because, from my perspective, I guess does not realize really that the main character is dying. I mean she sort of she does she comes to terms with it. But like 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 and she she's saying she will protect him and but when she's saying that I think she is kind of she's meaning it in in sort of like kind of in the way she used to because when she used to say I'm going to protect you it was a very robotic literal I'm going to make sure you are not harmed that that is it protecting whereas with like I guess it's more like I'm going to protect you and I'm going to like treasure you like I'm going to protect my relationship with you. I'm like that's that's kind of what she means, and then I'll like obviously protect my memories of you, and and that's. But I think she still has that hope that their relationship can continue on in the future, okay. that 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 will be built upon, and that's why for me that like that ending hit me so hard, is because it's sort of you know it was what I was saying before about like what is sad about death is the hole that's left. It's not just the death itself, mm-hmm. and that sort of. Being the person, being it, the the fucking game makes you that whole, and that's so sad. That's the saddest fucking thing I have ever experienced. Where like I I didn't ball like I've never I've I haven't balled like at all from anything since I was like six years old. But like 
that made me tear up. Like, in a way, the only one other thing has ever made me tear up, and that was for, like, really personal stuff. But, like, this definitely, like, that so affected me. Like, that this yeah. is, that you you have become this whole. Like, you've come to terms with all this stuff, but everyone else hasn't, because everyone else hasn't had the exact same experience as you have. And I guess, yeah, and I, it's, I really like, I think it's interesting, because I don't, I don't. I didn't see that the way you saw it, and I don't. That's not. The I can. Way I, I can. See it, I can one hundred percent see right. your and I can, interpretation of the game, and I can one hundred percent see your interpretation of the game. And this is making me love the game more. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, love. I hadn't even thought about it because, like, for me, it was so. For whatever reason, when I was looking at that scene, it was so clear to me that I guess did not realize what was happening. And to me, she was, it was misunderstanding so, the situation. And to me, it was so clear. The other thing, and I, I think that's what's fascinating, yeah. is that this game. That's what I. What I kept saying is the nuance there is that there's so much you put yourself into it so much. Yeah. You know, and and I guess I. This is what I wanted to say next and go in this discussion is is one of the reasons why it hit me as hard as it did is because you know um, I've talked about this on the podcast before. It's it's been almost a year now. Uh, my father passed away last October, and I. That final scene of Persona 3 was the single most cathartic experience I have had since he died. Yeah. Single most. And because... And I guess I went into it thinking about when I was with my... I was with my dad when he died. I was holding his hand. You know, I was in the room. Me and my my brother and my mother. And, you know, I watched his his life slip away. And so I was kind of... Anytime I think about death right now, that's obviously what I'm thinking about. Yeah. And so I go into that scene and I'm, you know, I watch this thing with Igus and I guess my, I immediately just thought she has to know. She's, she's come to this point, that's where she is. And she's trying to look at it in the most, she's, she's found a way to look at this that is both recognizing the tragedy of it and also the beauty in it. And I feel like that's what hit me so hard because that's the only way you move forward after something like that happens. Is you mm-hmm. find a way to make sure that, you know, you honor both the sadness and that this that was so happy that this person lived and touched you. Yeah. And and both of those things and that yeah, that future won't have you in it, but it will have you in it because you don't leave someone when you die. Yeah. You you that future goes away, but it also doesn't. I I, I love that that dichotomy is recognized yeah. there. And so honestly, that's why it hit me so hard and, and why I, you know, I was crying through that whole scene and then when when Kimi no Koku or whatever... Kimi no Kiyoku. Okay. Memories yeah. of You. Memories of You. I've, I've not... Um, in iTunes it just says Memories of You, so yeah. yeah. Um, but when that song came up, that song is so overwhelmingly emotional. Oh, God, that's, yeah. That's... that's what really broke me was I'm listening Shit, to it Jesus. and that's when I just had to put the, the, the Vita down and just cry into my hands and I'm thinking about my dad. Man, dude, like, if you... I think if you had tried to... Like read the lyrics of that song as it played, you literally would have cried yourself to death. Yeah. Like if you had like known what the song was saying, it's so fucking sad. Yeah. Oh my god. But yeah, and it's just and and I'm also I was literally exhausted at this point, like the characters are yeah. because I've been playing since eleven at night and at six mm-hmm. in the morning. I haven't slept in thirty six hours, you know. But it's I don't know, just that scene. That's what I've been looking for and trying to vocalize for a, the past year. Yeah. And that any story can give me this, let alone a game which I, I don't want to, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to put down the gaming medium, just that I didn't, th- I haven't played a game that tackled something like this before. Yeah, like, I like I don't think I've ever seen anything like, I think the only other thing that could tackle it kind of like this would be a book, but I have never right. read a book that like, did this. No, like, and quite like this. And it's because it's interactive. It's yeah. because only a game can do this this powerfully. Because as you said, you are the whole. Yeah. I love that 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 uh, that what you said there. Because that, that really is what, what hits you there in, in a, or what it's one of the things that hits you. But yeah, it's just getting to that moment and seeing that and seeing that personified through this story and through Igus 
and through the protagonist and their relationship um, and, and vocalizing what I've been looking for, boy, that hit me. And boy, I just came out of that thinking, I, I was so, I didn't know what to do with myself. I couldn't go to sleep. Yeah. It was six in the morning. I, I tried to get in bed and maybe sleep a little, but I just couldn't do that. I did some writing about the game. It was just, you know, trying to process this. But I also, I felt whole in a way I haven't felt whole in a long time. And it's taken me a couple of days where I just haven't known what to do with myself, in part because I finished this great game. Yeah. And it hit me, but also because it gave me an answer that I've been looking for. And I think the other thing about it is that, you know, I know there's this, uh, you know, this, this bonus game on Fest. Yeah, the epilogue. The, yeah, episode, I guess, or in America, or the answer. answer. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I definitely, you know, I should probably play that at some point. I also yeah. have Persona 4 Arena. I've been thinking about playing that. But really, that ending is so perfect to me and so beautiful for reasons I can't even fully put into words. I don't ever want to see those characters again. I don't want to see that story again. It feels like so complete to me, even though there are so many things yeah. left to happen. Those characters are on the verge of coming up. And that's the other thing I want to say that's beautiful. Yeah, God, from God, the side of shit. From the side of, but I also love that from yeah. the side of the protagonist, if you're the one dying, that's not necessarily sad. That's great because you look at the life you built. They're coming. Yeah, They're friends, all around you. But from your friend's point yes. of view... And that's and that's what like that's one of the things about the answers is like oh, fuck like because right like like I guess like I just love that like I guess is the one you're with when you mm-hmm. die and like it, like other characters have to sort of come to terms with the fact that they were not the one you were with when you died but yeah and I and I think you know I I'm sure I'll get to a point at some point where I can objectively take a step back yeah like and I go told play you it took game. me about a, like a week until after I finished Persona Three that I jumped into episode I guess right and I think you know once I'm from a point where I'm not I'm no longer viewing it as an extension of my playthrough but something else some another these other characters you know yeah. viewpoints then I can probably go in and play the answer but as it is right now it's like. I don't even I don't even want to go like look at Persona videos. It's just like that is it, and I want that to be what I remember. I, I've gone back and rewatched that ending like eight times, mm-hmm. but you know, it's just like that's so complete. It's how you described uh, Mass, Mass Effect Three. Effect. Yeah, you're like it sounds exactly like how I feel about Mass Effect Three, where it's like I can't. And it's interesting that like with Persona Three, I don't have quite. I don't know why I don't have the same feeling with Persona Three because honestly, there is stuff in the answer, like stuff that they do that logically I should really hate. Like, 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 it, like, based on like stuff, like the other things that I've experienced, it's just like, you, I would like feel like, oh, that ruins the ending or something like that. You know, like, this is like much of a spoiler because I already hinted at it when we were talking about Persona 4 Arena 2, the fact that they might bring back the main character. That would piss me off. That is right hinted now. at. I... But for some reason, that doesn't bother me at all because for whatever reason, Persona, like, for in my mind, the Persona 3 story is so complete and encapsulated and so perfect. That it doesn't even matter anything else, like like because you can like nothing else that they do with those characters will ever be anywhere near as great as that story. I mean, it just can't be. But like I, but I do love the characters a lot, and I love like and I obviously I love the style of the Persona games, and I, I like being able to see these characters again. I really like the answer, and I think the answer has a lot of really interesting things to say, even if it is very flawed. And then Persona Four Arena, like it's really fun to see these characters come back, and like I think it would even be interesting. And you could deal with some interesting stuff by having the Persona 3 main character come back in some fashion. But it's like, while I would feel like, oh, that ruins the ending of the game, usually if anything else did that like this, I would say, that ruins it. That ruins the ending. You know, like for like Spider-Man fucking losing his memories, that really hurts every single time I read a Spider-Man comic. It, like, I can't forget that fact. Does not bother me at all with Persona Three. Like, you can like, just separate it so easily. Yeah, it's so yeah, exactly. Like it's it's almost like that's how good Persona Three is. That that's how perfect that ending is. 
that it's like whatever like who fucking gives a shit like that's it's, it's all so extra perfect. yeah it's that's so perfect and I'm happy I'm perfectly happy to have I want the extra stuff because I do want to see the other characters and there's a part of me that wants to have the sort of like 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 more of like I don't want to say anime in like a derisive term but like bad anime like kind of like the ending of Persona 4 type bad anime that kind of thing of like like you know, have the main character come back, do that stuff. Sure, fuck it, whatever. Like, because there's a part of me that really wants to see you, Narukami, and the main character from Persona Three fucking teaming it up. Well, that's the same appeal behind yeah. fan fiction. Exactly. Some, yeah. Sometimes it's, like, it's very just... fan ficky. It's like right. I want, like I want that to exist. I want to have that story. But for me, like it in no way affects the story of Persona Three. Right. It really, in like a way that, based on the way I usually feel about fiction, I should, by all means, not feel that way. But that's how good Persona 3 is. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's the best ending. Yeah. I can say this definitively. This is the best ending to anything I've ever seen. Yeah, any yeah, story. yeah, 100%. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's just so, just, again, it throws, and this is the other thing I want to say just from a narrative standpoint, for the first half of Persona 3, they are just throwing balls in the air. Yeah. And they are just, let's, let's put this out there on the table, let's put this out there, we're going to have Chidori, we're going to have Strega, we're going to have all this shit, throw it all up in the air. And I was thinking for a while, this stuff's not going to come back down. Yeah, it exactly, just... Like because I remember when the first time I played Persona 3, I talked to you about it, and I was just like, oh, I really like it, and I'm definitely going to keep on playing it, but it's just like, it doesn't feel as strong to Persona 4, like, especially when I got kind of the middle point. It's just like, it doesn't feel like it has a huge focus. Right. Like, I don't really know what this game is doing. Its pacing's kind of weird. And it's like, it's only... Then I got to the very end, and now when I think about, like, the beginning sections of Persona 3, I fucking love them. Like, oh, yeah. It makes me really excited to one day go back and play the game, just because it's like, I want to re-experience all that stuff from the perspective of having finished it. Like, you know, like, when you you were started playing Persona 3, I watched... Like I kind of played the very beginning section of you the game me again. Fuck up a bunch. <laughs> yeah, I watched you fuck up a bunch, but then I also played like the first like two or whatever hours, like the very beginning of the game. You know, because the fucking beginning of that game is awesome. Oh yeah, it's like a thousand times more awesome when you've actually played it. And it's like I want to like I want to have all like the kind of the wacky adventures, like you know, like when you go and see Fuka. Like I thought that when I remember when the first time I played the game, I was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting when you get Fuka. That's kind of an interesting story. And then when you were playing it, I was like, oh shit, that's when you get Fuka. And then I'm like. That part's awesome. For some reason, like when I like think about those sections of the game, they seem way more awesome to me than the first oh, time yeah. I played them. But I think that's the thing is that any sort of story that does this, where it throws all these balls into the air and then has the mastery to bring them all back down and put them in place, and it's perfect. Yeah. Then everything becomes stronger after that. And I think that's the amazing thing is that halfway through Persona Three, I'm wondering. I wasn't disliking it or I loved it, but I'm like, yeah. can they? Is there any way they can bring these all back to earth? Yeah. And one by one, everything starts falling into place, and they bring again going from macro to micro. It goes from this giant story. They're asking the biggest questions humanly possible. Literally, that is no exaggeration. Yeah, yeah. There are no bigger themes to yeah, explore. Yeah, it's the biggest questions you can ask humanly possible that are actually questions worth asking. Right, that's my opinion. And on. yes, and then they so they're asking those. There's just, and it's a plot that is huge and long and complex and convoluted. And then it all comes together, comes together, comes together, and then that final scene. Yeah, which is as intimate a scene as you can possibly have. Right. And, and would you ever imagine starting out the game with the amount of stuff that happens that that would be the last scene just God, two no. people yeah, you know no. like it's, yeah you, I would never you know like again like I, I love Persona 4 to death but like I've said multiple times I think the weakest part of Persona 4 is it's ending like because it, it has that very preachy anime we're going right. to spout out our philosophies at each other but really not come to no real philosophical or intellectual resolution we're just going to beat the shit out of you like right. it's such a bad anime type thing yeah 
like and that's why like I've said like it's so amazing to me that Persona 3 has this great of an ending because most of these kinds of stories like I think like Japanese storytelling tends to be just based on stuff that I've seen tends to be so heavily character focused that the endings usually suck and I think the why they suck is because they're so character focused and that makes it hard to have a real good ending a lot of times because you have to have like a strong plot to have like a like a nice like obvious way to end something that sort of buttons stuff up. Well, it's like, for instance, you know, uh, Lost is a good example in America of that's a totally it's, like I haven't. I have, obviously haven't seen the last season, but yeah. 100%. Well, I was, what I was going to say is Lost is a totally character focused series, and what they did for the finale, and I love the finale because the finale is basically just character resolution. Yeah, and I think it's great, and it's what it recognizes what was important about Lost and ends those characters in the perfect place. But a lot of people hated it because apparently they didn't care about the characters and just wanted to know stupid little plot things like why they picked those numbers. I think that's a little, like, obviously I, I don't know how much this is because I haven't actually seen the last season. I've seen every season except for the last one. But I think you say that maybe is a little unfair. It's unfair, I'm but... I'm sure there's like, because because I think, like, it, I thought the, yeah, I think Lost definitely kind of throws people for a loop because it starts off so heavily character focused and then it starts building out the mystery stuff and I think the, like, well, my, I personally think it like Lost gets kind of awkward and unfocused and that's why I stopped watching it. But like, I think like those endings are so hard to do, like having oh, yeah. them so be so character focused that I can understand how people would be very frustrated with. It. Obviously, I haven't seen it, so I don't. But in any case, that's just the analogy of something you can yeah. compare it to. But yeah, Persona Three is character focused and has this great. Yeah, it, it, it gets this great plot that like well, right. about death that like you didn't necessarily see coming. Yeah. Like, like that is like you know that like the plot of that game changes so much. Like at first, it's just you know, it's first it's just hey, like we, we, these the Dark Hour Tartarus. There are these weird shadows that appear that come up every full moon. We need to take care of them, and then slowly it's like, okay, it's Ikutsuki went fucking crazy. Well, even before that, yeah. you have all the stuff about Kirijo Corp. Yeah, yeah, like Kirijo comes in, like you've got like Igis, like comes up, and it's like, what the fuck, robot? Like that's crazy. Then Ikutsuki goes crazy. Like Strega comes in, and Strega's like this weird cult. And it's just like, yeah, it starts like like the plot sort of like slowly unfolds in like this like way that like you would never expect it would be that like that whereas with Persona 4 you know you realize it's a murder mystery story from the get go like you know like okay like three hours into the game when actually the murder happens because you know it's a Persona game but yeah like you realize you don't you don't know the answer to the story but you know what story it is Persona 3 you, you have no fucking clue you have no clue that this game is going to be 100% about death that that's what the subject matter is that's how it's analyzing it until you get to the end right it's, it's so amazing in that way um, yeah, so what else do we want to talk about here? Because talking about the plot and stuff, I think it is interesting, like, when we talk about, you know, throwing balls up in the air and them coming back down, I also think it's amazing that all that stuff with the Carrillo group manages to feel completely organic with the rest of the story by the end. Yeah. Um, but then, let's see, well, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the entire idea of, of Nyx and this personification of yeah. death. Because I think it's really interesting, because it really is... It is similar to that idea of the Japanese characters get together and fight a god. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it is, but... It's the, it being the god of death, and like it's like everything, right. it feels so tied together. Where it's like, yeah, like. Well, usually, I also wanted to talk about a little yeah. an attitude shift there, where in Persona Four, when what's the god at the end of that uh, game? Izanami no Okami. Yeah, Izanami no Okami. You are very antagonistic towards Izanami, and Izanami is very antagonistic towards you, and you never reach common ground. Yeah. But I never felt like Nyx, or you know, you have Ryoji as the embodiment of death. Nyx doesn't like hate you. I never felt. Yeah. You don't really hate Nyx. You're just. You want to stop it. It's yeah, like, Nyx is this... Like, yeah, like, say, even saying, like, Nyx is the god of death. It's like, a Nyx of... is, is literally the goddess of night from Greek mythology. That's yeah. one of the things I love about this 
I just really like all the Greek mythological stuff this game takes. But, uh, yeah, but, like, it is just, it's this unstoppable, it is what death is. It's right. this inevitability that it's, like, that, like, you have to desperately push against. But it is this, like, Nyx is fucking Nyx. Like, Nyx isn't, it has no intelligence, you know? Like, Ryoji is its sort of emissary, but mm-hmm. Nyx itself is not, like, you don't feel like as, like, it's this self-aware creature. No, it's a force of nature, almost, yeah. you know? Uh, it's an embodiment of things, and again, your your attitude toward it is much more mature. Yeah, and, and I think that's something you talked about with Persona Three before on this podcast. Is it's a much more mature game than Persona Four. Yeah, yeah. Or, or I should not. say, Persona I mean, Pers- like it's, it's like I wouldn't necessarily because Persona Four is also a very mature game. Like it I deals think it's, with really mature themes, but like they're they're such different themes. Like, well, here's what I was going to say is that I think it's a difference between the stance of the people making it and what you're actually experiencing. And I think yeah. the stance of the people making it is probably equally mature in each game to me. Yeah. But I think it's... Persona 4 is is exploring more immature characters in a more yeah, immature yeah, like scenario. Like, I would say, yeah, it's like, I think Persona 4, like, what Persona 4... It, Persona 4 deals with its subject matter in a really mature way, but its issues and its themes are adolescent in nature. Like, 100%. it's dealing with self-discovery... Like, like, discovery of your sexuality, your gender, like, that kind of stuff. Like, learning how to assert yourself. And, yeah, those themes are very adolescent, whereas this... I wouldn't even call the necessarily called death a mature theme. It is an all-encompassing theme. It is, yes. it is a, just, like, the human theme. And, and, you know, I actually think it's interesting. Persona 3, in doing that, touches on a lot of very common Japanese themes that I... Yeah. is one of the reasons I relate to Japanese storytelling a lot, of of forced maturity, of kids going through arcs where the adults let them down in their lives and they have to become adult very fast. Yeah. You see that a lot with, you know, the Kurijo people and, and, and Yukari's parents and, and yeah, different yeah, parents like that have left having them. to, like, kind of, like, take on the sins of the father, effectively. Right, yeah. I mean, that's a very Japanese thing. One of my favorite Japanese movies is Battle Royale. That's 100% the themes of that film. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's interesting. I think those are some very common themes, but again, because they're, they're it's, they have to be there because it is all-encompassing death, these ideas. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting, you know, I, uh, the only way, it, it, as you said, it really feels like Persona 3 should have come after 4, but at the same time you realize they put everything on the table for 3, you have to scale back after that. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways, yeah. You couldn't make a darker game. Oh, yeah, like, <laughs> you couldn't make a darker anything. Like, you just put in the game, it would just be a black screen, and it's like, oh, this game's really dark. Yeah. So you had, they had to go lighter for 4, and I actually... Yeah. Looking at it from a historical standpoint, I really think it's interesting that they went to go with some issues that are smaller and lesser, quote unquote, yeah. but still so you know important and tangible to life that Persona Four still has that incredible impact. Yeah, like I mean, it's really obvious that that Persona Four is made by the same people who made Persona right. Three. You know, like just in terms of like the storytelling and and the themes they decide to tackle and how they tackle it. But yeah, and I think it's I have a greater respect really for both games after playing them and seeing that they were able to in two years after Three make Four, yeah. and and okay. do something that is. Of you know close levels of quality, and I, I think you know here's the thing about Persona Four is it is a better game as a game. Yeah, I definitely like it. it be, since it's the sequel, it is a lot more refined in a lot of ways in terms of its mechanical structure. It implements the social links better. It yeah, does. yeah. Particularly, I think the social links are and 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 while like I look back on Persona like the early parts of Persona Three really fondly, I would still technically say the pacing is a flaw in Persona Three. Like there's some issues with that. Yeah, I think like, there's like, some... I wouldn't. I would never say Persona Three is a perfect game. Like, I wouldn't say anything's perfect. No. But like a lot of. But to me, even like a lot of sort of the clunky nature of the mechanics has like a huge amount of charm to them. To me, because then. Oh yeah. 
it doesn't like they never feel like the game's broken in some way. It's just no. like and I think this could be refined. And I wanted to talk about this in a minute with our discussion of the portable version. Okay, yeah. But uh yeah, but I mean, you know, going back to four, it's just in a case where I think four is as a game, it is more fun to play, I feel like. You 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 you, you digest it in a more yeah. Well and at a certain way. point, Persona three's not fun anymore. Kind of the no. same way The Last of Us. Like I I really enjoyed that game. Like I've I've I'm glad I played it. I will play it again someday. But I would never say it's fun. That's no. not the right word for it. With Persona Three, Persona Three starts out real fun, and at the end you just like you said, you're just crying in the fucking corner. Was right. credits roll? Yeah, and that is such a valid experience. But yeah. if you're again, if you're going into a game because you just want to have fun, yeah, I would pick Persona Four. Let's say Persona Four is for more people than Persona Three is. Oh, absolutely. But you know, and Persona Four, I think is only lesser in the sense of its impact is not as great cumulatively. Yeah. Which, and, and it doesn't explore yeah. themes that are quite as big. Yeah. And, I think and then the, also, like, I think we, both of us have, like, are more personally attached to sort of, like, looking at and discussing the themes of death. Yeah. Like, like they, they have, like, really big personal significance to it. Like, that's why, for me, my, like, two of my favorite fucking games of all time, Persona 3 and Mass Effect 3, sort before, both of them 100% about death. Yeah. Like, that's that's what it is. Like, that, that theme really interests me personally. Absolutely. So, obviously, I'm going to like Persona 3 more. And I think we come to it from a different stance, where yeah. I, I think also Persona 3 is, you know, it doesn't put religion in the equation or anything, yeah, yeah. and we are both non-religious people. Um, yeah, so yeah, so it looks at death from, like, a perspective that we understand it as well. Right. So, in any case, but yeah, and, and yeah, and I'm excited to go back and play Persona 4 sometime. I, I got that New Game Plus waiting to start, yeah. and I'm going to be happy doing it. And I think, you know, you can't, dis, you know, just as Persona 3... Somehow makes you think about these issues so powerfully and poignantly and beautifully, and they're so big and dark, and it's, it, it hits you on a dark level so much. Persona Four, the amount of fun you have with it, I always say we underestimate the skill it takes to make you have fun. Yeah, in, in yeah. something. And Persona Four is the most fun game I've ever played because yeah. you just laugh your way through that, except when you're interacting with Nanako. But you know, otherwise, uh... otherwise, Persona Four is just the most fun, happy experience. You know, you start a rock band you go on your trips you get to the hot springs now that Persona 3 has a hot springs thing which I think is funny because that feels like a more Persona 4 kind of thing to do no that is that is a law any Japanese anime, high school yeah. thing has to you have to go to a hot spring it is it is one of the laws yes and you I have actually, to go to the hot spring and then the girls have to compare their breast sizes and that happens every fucking time. And the male characters have to be in danger. They of have sneaking. to sneak in. They have yeah. to sneak in. Yes, yeah. that's also that always has to happen. Uh, they either was... have to sneak in or accidentally sneak in. Yep. They have to stumble upon them. Well, I've while I've been uh, was playing Persona Three to even myself out. I've been reading this really fun romantic comedy high school manga called Nisekoi. Mm-hmm. It's really good. And uh, it literally, right after I read, the, watched the Persona Three part with the hot springs, there was a Nisekoi chapter yeah. with hot springs, and the same kind of thing happened. And it yeah, was great. It's, it's, I don't know what that is. Like it's, yeah. it happens in fucking everything. It is so, it is right. so common. But let's get back into. I want to okay. talk about some of those mechanics because, yes, obviously, mechanics. while Persona Three, because like you do not have control over your characters. Yes, and which we is talk- the biggest change from Persona 4 in terms of how the combat works. Right. And and you talked about this actually a lot on our top video games podcast that that helps to make this sense of every person is their own person. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things about the game in terms of like you know, because we talk a lot about when anybody who's like into games and like has like a sort of game critical edge, you always have to bring up the term ludonaire to dissonance because it's sort of it is the buzzword in modern games criticism meaning like like the, the dissonance between how the story and the mechanics of the game interact 
like as popularized by the series Uncharted, where you have fun cracking hero Nathan Drake in cutscenes, and then in the gameplay, you are literally slaughtering dozens after dozens after dozens of minorities. It's weird, like subtly racist undercurrent in Uncharted. I feel, but yes, but yeah. So there's that little narrative dissonance, and so there's always this really interesting. It's something that usually only indie games accomplish because they're so small in scale. With this interesting, like whole, like super satisfying feeling from a game that that breaks that divide of the narrative and the mechanics, where the mechanics and the narrative combine to like just give you like a fucking punch in the gut. And a lot of times, like, I think people underestimate how valuable it, like, just pure interactivity is to breaking that divide, where it's, like, that, like, changes the scope of the narrative in a lot of ways. But something where, like, the fact that you do not have direct control over your your companions in combat, which, like, even though that is in Persona 4, it's not like that was a, like, crazy concept of Persona 4 did it, you know? Like, in turn-based combat, it is... 100% traditional that you control all your teammates all the time. So, so Persona 3 doing it is really kind of fucking crazy. And so it, it, in terms of the game, it definitely uses that mechanic to make all the people feel different where they have their own AI routines. And you also can't just equip them like stuff. Like you can't just press the pause button, go to equipment, then like cycle to their character and give like Yukari a bow. You have to go fucking talk to Yukari and give her a goddamn bow because that's because she is a person. She's her own unique entity. She's not just sort of like swept under this mechanical rug to make everything work really in a really fluid fashion. And I just love that because it's like yes. it's clunky. Yes. Like it's and it makes and it can make the combat really frustrating in a lot of ways because you desire this control. But like but it's so much it's so cool like it gives you such a it makes those characters so subtly feel so distinct from yourself and you have such a powerful individual personality and even in just the gameplay sections outside of the narrative that like almost nothing else I think ever really does yeah and it gets down to even the level of you can't check their status without going and talking yeah, to exactly. Mitsuru or Fuka yeah. and, and I'll say I played the portable version where none of this applies and that I that's a complaint I'll talk about in a second but I did play about 20 hours of Fest before I went and played the portable yeah, version sure. it was yeah. just a case where I had to play the portable version out of necessity because I had my Vita and I was uh, out of town and somewhere else and Sean had my PS3 and I really wanted to play this game so I just grabbed the portable version and played it and um you know, I don't have huge regrets about that, except that I <laughs> wish I had gotten to play the fest thing all the way through, and I will yeah. someday. I, I own the game. Yeah. Um, but in any case, I got far enough into my fest playthrough that I totally got all that. Yeah, yeah. I felt all that. So when I played it portable, I was still able to replicate that to a certain degree, even though Persona Three Portable just slaps on the Persona Four combat system verbatim and it's terrible it doesn't work it's not what that game was built for and it really does feel like sometimes like yeah it's a little more satisfying when you can just buy your equipment for your party and put it on there yeah it's just so much easier like it's and it's something that's like and and it's something i feel like such a snob saying this but it's almost like it's kind of like it takes a certain like taste and maturity in consuming your video games in order to be able to appreciate that like you kind of have to look past that and give this game some credit to like because I remember, like, the first time, I hated it at first. Like, I hated that so much. It drove me insane. I remember you talking about yeah, it. Yeah, because it's like, it took me it took me a really long time to warm up to the, to that aspect of the combat. And then I certain, and then, like, all of a sudden it sort of clicked. Because I, like, because I was realizing, like, I'm getting really into the characters. Like, I, there's something about these characters that I like so much. And I can't, like, it's something that is, I don't feel about them the same way I do about Persona 4. I don't feel about them the same way I do almost any other character in anything and I couldn't quite put a pin on it and then I realized 
they all feel like people. They all feel like different people. Like, just completely 100%. And then I sort of, like, was trying to deconstruct that myself. And I was like, oh. Like, it's the mechanics. Like, the mechanics drive... Like, part of it is the writing, too, where they definitely feel like they have their own friends, their own personal lives, that is informed by the fact that you are brought together by circumstances of you having personas and having to fight and not necessarily you all wanting to be friends. But it's like the mechanics influence that so much. And it's I think it's a... I feel like it's it's an aspect of the game that I, when I see about it talked see it talked about is often overlooked. Like I usually think I see people dismissing that, and that's why a lot of people sort of praise Persona Three Portable for having the Persona Four combat system because it's like oh it's so much easier, it's so much fun, it's so much more engaging. But I'm like you're missing something. There's a part of the experience that those mechanics convey that maybe when you play the game you didn't necessarily get, but it's definitely there, and it is definitely intentional. It's not like that's an accident. No. You have to, because it would, it's 100% expected for you to just be able to control all of your party members, for you to just be able to go into the menus. You know, Persona 3 was made in 2006, not 1988. You know? Right. Like, genre conventions were well established at that point in time. Yeah, and obviously Persona 3 plays with JRPG conventions at every possible turn. Yeah, exactly. And, and so here's the other side of it, is that when I was playing... I agree with everything Sean just said. Nothing to add to that. That's perfect. The other side of that is that I think there's a certain pace to the combat yeah. that is informed by that and the fact that Tartarus is... There's just this brilliant hook to it, that this simplicity to it, where I still prefer the dungeon system in Persona 4 because I like the variance of it and everything. Yeah, I, I agree. It's more fun, but it's, for Persona yeah. 3... Tartarus feels more appropriate. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing about Tartarus is you have to, you have every night you can choose to go in. There's a couple, you know, exceptions here and there, but otherwise every night you can go in if you want. Yeah, it's like your job. I love that. It's your job. It's your job and you have to get to the top. And there's really no set time limits on it until the end, but you just got to get up there. And so you go in and there's also this this, um, system where you are either tired, good, or great. And if if you're great, uh, eventually you'll go down to good and then to tired if you go in good it'll be less time until you get to tired and once yeah. you're tired you really need to get out of there or else you're going to start losing really yeah because bad. like those, those different status effects particularly when you're tired you, you like the rate at which you miss increases exponentially like you're much yeah. easier to get critted against so if, if you can like kind of manage it if like one or two people in your party get tired it's like if everyone in your party's tired you're fucked like, and you'll you get win a fight and if you don't get out of there, you'll get sick, and then yeah. it'll take you longer to get good again, and that's bad because you want to be going into Tartarus pretty regularly. Yeah, yeah. So you sort of slowly develop this pace of, like, you get the sense of, like, I should probably be leaving about now because my people are going to get tired pretty soon. And, like, you get to this pace of, like, if you manage it well, you can go into Tartarus basically every single night as long as your people don't get sick because yeah, one maybe- good night gets you good again maybe do a floor maybe do two floors whatever yeah and you know just do a little bit at a time come back and there's also this system where your save points in Tartarus are these access points and there's one every ten floors let's say yeah it's sometimes it's less sometimes it's more and and then you can go in and you can go to one of those points so really one block like let's say ten floors that's not okay and blocks means something different yeah yeah let's do ten floors every ten floors yeah every ten floors you might have to do those ten floors the first two four or five times but you'll be doing them over and over, and you'll be getting higher leveled, and that's yeah. that's how you manage your leveling, too. And when I was playing the Fest version, I really got to a point where, at first, this was a little weird to me, yeah. but then I had a lot of fun with it. And I thought, for one, the combat is really, really fast-paced, because your other uh, team members are AI-controlled. Yeah. So those battles are like fucking just shots of adrenaline. Yeah. And it's like, you, are, you become a junkie for them at one point, because they also sing Mass Destruction. Yes. And that is the greatest JRPG battle music ever. Well... I fucking love it. I really, really like... Although, the the version of Mass Destruction in the episode, I guess, is 
the better version of Master Sword. I actually agree. I've listened to it on the Fest yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, it's and it's something that it's like because I played you know because there's so much combat in Episode I guess that like when you were playing original Persona Three, I was like, oh, that one guitar part isn't in the because it's like it's such a subtle change in the Fest version, but it's like there's just this little guitar part. It's like makes that song just so much more whole to me. But, yeah, but anyway, I love that song. Yeah, so I. Much. I, I I probably like Reach Out to the Truth. I think like Best Destruction probably is a better song, but Reach Out to the Truth is so sort of it's so awesome because it's like the guitar riff is so great, but it's so corny in such a J-pop way that yeah. I really love it. And the and Best Destruction is corny in this like J like hip hop way, right? And I, I should say I like the music. J-hop. Personally, I'm a bigger fan of the Persona Four music, but that's yeah, one in area. I agree. The two song, the three songs that I feel like Persona Three has the huge advantage in is I like the battle music more. Uh, the theme song that uh, "Burn My Dread" is my favorite theme song to anything ever, especially with the animation attached. I love that so yeah, much. Yeah, the opening cutscenes, the, the like the title cutscene is really so awesome. great. And I like uh, "Memories of You" as my yeah, favorite. Yeah, yeah, "Memories of You" is fucking yeah. definitely. Other than that, I love. I, I couldn't love the music in Persona Three more if I tried, but I like the music in Persona Four more. If I had to choose But anyway Getting back into it So you have those awesome battles You go in You don't feel like you're ever really grinding Because you just go in You battle a little bit You come back out you go Yeah because you're never into tar- in Tartarus For a huge amount of time Whereas yeah. with like Persona 4 Especially like once you sort of like Get really good at it And you like just run a dungeon through In one day Like in, in the context of the game Like you're in that dungeon for like five hours You know Right Like, like and that's and, and while, like, at a certain point, like, I, I'm kind of fine with that with Persona 4, I definitely like with Persona 3, it's like, you're in there for, like, an hour. And it's like, you get out, you go do social link stuff. And here's the thing about Portable. And this is where Portable, this is a change, I don't even understand why they did it, because to me it breaks the game at a certain point, the pace of it, is that they get rid of these, they basically get rid of the uh, entire system of good, tired, of, yeah. what you call it, like, status system. Yeah, yeah. Status system. Um, it's still there for some fuck unknown reason because you you can still get tired, but only when you go back to the real world. Not real world. When you get out of Tartarus yeah. and go back during the day, so you can be in there effectively infinitely while you're in Tartarus um, if you have uh, if you can manage your SP, and the clock will give you if you pay the clock, it'll restore your SP, and uh, so sort of like the the fox in Persona Four. Yeah. And here's what happens because of that. And also because you can also, at the entrance to Tartarus, the stairs, you can go back to the last floor you played. So oh, the whole save system, yeah. That. And so that's the big one, I think. Those, those three things are the big things. So what happens is you are not incentivized to play Tartarus night after night. You're incentivized to go into Tartarus and get as far as you can and then come out when you're done. So you will play Tartarus for three, four, five hours at a time, yeah. one night. And Tartarus, un- like the dungeons in Persona 4, I think are fun to play for hours on end. They're designed yeah. to be played in, in bursts. Um, even though that it also has a system where you can do them in two, three, four days, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's like sort of, I feel like that in Persona 4 is more to like get you acclimated to the combat system. Because the first time you play, you're not going to be good enough right. to manage all that stuff at once. And so it's like, but but by the time at the end of the game, I feel like it's definitely sort of expected. Because you re- if you want to get a lot of social link stuff, you really need to beat those dungeons in one day so you can move on to social linking. Right. And so, but in Persona 3 Portable, uh, like Persona 3, you know, regular or fest, yeah. it really feels like Tartarus is made to be done in those small chunks. But if you play Tartarus for like three, four hours on end, Tartarus breaks down. You start hating Tartarus. You hate everything yeah, about it. It doesn't it's work. Like because the song is the same. Usually yeah. the visuals for huge stretches of levels are the exact same. It just doesn't work. And enemies are the same for so long. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah. just, it gets really repetitive. Basically, I would just always be like, all right, it's time for Tartarus. I pull out a podcast. 
listen to go through Tartarus and grind until I get a couple yeah. levels up and and get to the end of where I could go. And that I, I could have tried to replicate the system from Persona Three and Fast more, but there's no reason to do that at yeah, that point in yeah. Portable. So it just it just it really was annoying to me, and I didn't like that. And it's and then there's another change I should say where in Persona Three Fest you can do two things at night if you don't go into Tartarus. You can go out to town, then come back and study. Yeah, yeah. You can only do one thing at night if you don't go into Tartarus and Persona Three Portable. So you are double incentivized to do Tartarus in one go. Yeah. Because then you otherwise you lose literally half of your opportunities to get your stats up. So my stats got up really late in the game because of that. Hmm. I had fewer chances to do it. Like academics took until like fucking October or September. Oh, yeah. So because there was no other thing, you know, nothing yeah. to do about it, and so. That's all kind of annoying, and I don't like that. And it just really, in terms of breaking the pace, it became this thing where I loved playing the game, but I hated going into Tartarus at a certain point. And so in the back of my mind, I'm not counting that against the game, because in the pure good version of the game, that wouldn't be a problem. But Portable, that really, that is probably the thing that to me is the worst thing about Portable, combined with the use of the Persona 4 combat system, which takes away not just that story side, but also just, I don't know, combat feels different. You can... You can make it like the Persona 3 combat system in, in that you're, you can make your uh, party members AI-controlled. Yeah, like you but, can do the same thing in Persona 4. But, but Except you can't, because yeah. in Persona 3 Fest, as I understand it, you have more tactics to do. You have Yeah, like, like, yeah like by the time you get to the end of the game, there are, you can manipulate... You you, as long as you like understand how the different characters play, you get enough different tactics that you can effectively manipulate them and force them to do whatever you want them to do as long as you take the time to. And you can't do that. There's only the four tactics options oh, in Portable. Oh, yeah, there's a lot more than four. In that's, that's what I was talking about. There's only the four. So you can try to limit yourself, but you're limiting yourself even more than you would limit yourself if you were playing Fess. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So I don't like any of those changes. And, uh, you know, the other big change in Portable, as long as we're on this topic... Is that it changes from a you know three D movement interface to a point and click interface? Yeah, and most and visual novel style for cutscenes and stuff. Mostly that doesn't bother me. I think it's inferior, but not drastically. It's still fun, and I think for social links and stuff, I may even like it as much or more because I think it's fun where you have it does this thing instead of having the polygon versions of the characters, the sprites, you know, the standing in the middle and then the character model on the right. There's a character animation on the right with this dialogue below. It'll just put like two people who are talking, one animation here and one uh, one on left and right, and then it looks more like they're talking to each other. So it can be a little more immersive sometimes, Um, but not. I I don't know. It can be equally immersive. It's for some of the effects is still more immersive. Because for me, like I haven't played Portable. That was one of the things that like in my mind really turned me off to it. Because again, this is another thing about uh, Fest that feels. Like, especially, like, it's one of the things about, I guess, 4 that makes it feel very much like a sequel to Persona 3, is that in Persona 4, when you're out, like, about the town, you can hit the square button and teleport mm-hmm. wherever you want to go. In Persona 3 and Fest, you have to walk everywhere. And at yeah. first, kind of drove me insane. Luckily, the way I played the game, loading screens were not a huge issue, where they may have been on the PS2 version, I don't know, so, like, I loaded in, like, a second, so that didn't bug me. But, like, yeah, the the... Going up, like having to walk everywhere and go about the town definitely added a level of immersion where it's just like, you know, I have to go do that. Like, I have to walk. And I feel like, and this might just be specific to me, like, like playing as a cursor doesn't give that feeling. Uh, absolutely. And I think what I was saying is I think that part's inferior, but the actual conversations you have, like, I like how when you're in a social link, you just have the animation model and it's facing right at you and you feel like it's kind of this first person, you're right there with them and that can be good I don't think it's better I don't think anything about portable is better there's nothing okay there's one thing that's better you can save at your desk at school 
No. That's an improvement. Yeah, that's that's I guess that's nice for you. I do think Persona 3 when I was playing it needed a couple more save points. Yeah, yeah. Um but other than that, nothing about portable is better. Sometimes it's on par in some ways. Uh, they find good substitutions. But when it comes time for big events and cutscenes, yeah, good like god, portable. Ending, yeah. yeah. Nothing about portable. At, at that point, portable just breaks down, and I would, again, whenever something big happened, like, because it makes it very clear, like, here's where an animated cutscene was. Yeah, because all of a sudden, all these people are describing something uh-huh. that you're not seeing. Yeah, basically what it should be doing there is say, go to YouTube and watch the clip. Yeah. And I'd actually kind of be fuddled. Why could they not fit 20 minutes of animation on a UMD? I don't know. Like, I don't know what the story... I mean... Honestly, probably like that game is probably pretty stretching the storage limits of of the UMD on the PSP by quite a lot. I would imagine. Like, I guess so. They could have put it on two discs. Maybe I don't know. Like, it's just, just those animated cutscenes. I don't know why you would want to lose them because their 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 alternative is so drastically inferior. Yeah, it's it's kind of terrible actually. Those parts, like when the the best they do, the best approximation they do is Shinji's death. Um, they're able to do a pretty good job with that, but even then, it's like they always have to describe like Takaya raises his gun, yeah. Takaya shoots. That's like, but it's more powerful when you see the animated cutscene and Shinji goes down, and you're like, "Fuck Shinji!" Yeah. I yeah. didn't even, I wasn't even that attached to you, but now I'm sad. Yeah, and I always love that. Like, I always love to like imagine <laughs> the like the player, like this imaginable, imaginative like player in my mind that's like, oh, like. I fucking because you know you have like a month or two months where you have Shinjiro on your team where you could be put him into your squad and, and like, in fact yeah. they, the Mitsuru and uh, Akihiko both tell you put Shinji on your squad yeah because really he's because I think he actually is like depending on how you've obviously leveled your character I think based on the average of where you should be at with your level I'm pretty sure he's actually a little bit higher he is than, so like yeah they kind of like like incentivizes you to put him on your team but I have my team kind of like established at this point of who I wanted to use but I just like this imaginary person who had him on his team is just like what you fucking you motherfuckers like I leveled because you know this is one of those kinds of RPGs this is something I don't I mean I guess it, it, it is an aspect of it that definitely ties into the everyone feels individual but this something is kind of a pain in the ass where you have to level each person up on their own it kind of really bugs me most of the time where it's like if you fucking play Shinji like everyone else would be like 10 to 15 levels behind You're like fuck yeah I remember Shit. I remember the month I guess is out December I had I had gotten where I needed to go in Tartarus anyway so I didn't yeah get... yeah me too I was super lucky on that because she right. was on my team Right, and I guess was on my team too. We used the same team. Yeah. Uh, but in December, I decided to go back in because Portable also has this is a nice little addition where you can people will wander into Tartarus and you have to go rescue them oh. and you get a reward. Um, and it feels like something that would happen in the digesis of the game. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Stuff. That's a good idea. Yeah, and uh, it keeps you motivated and stuff. So I did that in December, and when I went in, I just I needed a fourth party member. So I'm like, uh, Koromaru, you come in this time. Then I brought in Junpei, and they would both like die immediately, and I'm just like. I just have to leave you dead or else you're going <laughs> to fuck with me. So you're, so I just leave, leave this dead dog in Tartarus and go Yeah, on. that's one of the things I love is just like when someone like passes out in the game, it's like they literally, their character model is left behind on the like character, star, on the like Tartarus screen. So you just like, you, you remember, them. you were one, uh, when I was playing Persona 3 on the, on the PlayStation, like the yeah, best version. Yeah, you were here. Yeah. yeah. You were watching me play it a bunch and there was that one, that disastrous run I did in Tartarus. Yeah. There were a lot of disastrous, disastrous runs in Tartarus when I was watching you play. Yeah, I was pretty rough at the beginning, but I think there was one Everyone where I literally, was, like, yeah. like Yukari died. I just had to leave her and run. Yeah, he just left. And, and I definitely think there was one... I remember one time, because this is, like, really early on in the game, I think you didn't realize that, like, when that if you move up a floor when someone passes out, they go back to the beginning of Tartarus and, like, you can't have them in your party anymore until you leave. And yeah. you're just, like... Because you just, like, ran up the stairs and left her there. I'm like, 
Jonathan, what are you doing? And then it's like the dialogue box pops up and the car's like, I have to get out of here or whatever. Yeah. It's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, you just left her there, passed out on the ground. What were you expecting? Yeah. So, yeah. So, overall, Portable, to me, is not is just not the version worth playing. It has... The only advantage it has is that you can play it away from your TV. Yeah. And even then... You know, that's nice, and I, I certainly love that the definitive version of Persona 4 is the Vita version, because yeah, Persona 4, Persona games work well on the go, I think. Yeah. They're good portable games. Um, and, you know, I if they wanted to make Persona 3 the golden, but I mean, you ignore all the shit they did in portable... I would call it Persona 3 the silver. Okay. Silver seems a more appropriate, yes. precious metal for Persona 3. I agree. So, yeah. Um, but I, I don't trust them to ever do another remake of this, because I feel like they would maintain the changes to Tartarus and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... I'm, they're never going to, probably. Yeah, I would be but... surprised if they made another Persona 3. Like, they could, but... And, you know, I think the perfect version of Persona 3 would basically be Fess with graphical enhancements similar to Persona 4 Golden with one or two casting changes in the English dub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they've... Fuka has already, like, in Persona 4 Arena for her cameo, she has a new voice actress okay. that I think is much better. Um, and see, Fuka isn't even the first one I would go to. Well, Kutsuki, was that the first one? Nope, Ken. I fucking hate uh, Ken's voice. Yeah, he's not... It doesn't. He's, it sounds. I. 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 But I don't know who else it would be because young boys in English voice acting are always terrible. Eh, get fucking Nancy Cartwright from The Simpsons. She can do it. Make him sound like Bart Simpson. Would she do it? I think she's probably too rich from Simpsons. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it doesn't seem to be doing like anime it, video games. But I don't know. I've heard better young boy voice acts. As that. That's fucking what's his name? Like Iggy, I think from Digimon, the original Digimon. Sure, so I don't that's know. That's why it didn't bug me. That it much. Fucking like keep. I don't yeah, know. I mean, I agree. His voice is annoying. I would. I mean, I would probably change Akutsuki first. Honestly, like Fuka. Okay. Fuka's and Fuka's voice acting is not good, but. I like Fuka the fine. The quality it's... of her voice, I, fu- I like the quality of her voice. It's almost kind of like Chie, like the old Chie is a lot better than Fuka, but it's like, it's not necessarily right, but I like it for some reason. Like, I like the way her voice sounds, I just don't like the performance. And I think that's probably true. I actually like how Fuka's voice sounds a lot too, and what I said immediately when I got her in the game and was talking to you is that I see exactly what kind of Japanese kind of voice she's doing. Yeah. Because it's a very clear archetypal Japanese voice. Um, and that they're, she's doing an English language approximation of, and I think that's good. The performance is often very stilted, like, there are two enemies! Yeah, yeah, it's kind of rough that she's the person who's your your navigator in Tartarus. I was kind of sure for a while that she was Tikal from Sonic Adventure, but she is not. I was disappointed that she's not Tikal. I don't know who original Fuka is. It's yeah. not like, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely a step down from having Laura Bailey being your navigator voice oh, yeah. for or or fucking Teddy. Yeah. <laughs> yep, so... You know, um, and I think honestly, I also, I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of Shinji's voice. Yeah, like he's got a very like English dub anime voice. Like I didn't think it was, I wouldn't call it bad. It's just not as, it's nowhere near as good as like Karen Stressman as Igis or Vic Mignogna or Michelle Ruff. Yeah, get, get Troy Baker to voice Shinji. Yeah, just and get do tr- and make him do his voice from Last of Us. Oh, I thought you were going to say that just, just have him be Kanji. No, no, no. Because he kind of is like this really dark version of Kanji. Right. But, Get uh... Yeah. But let's, let's talk about performances we really did love. We already yeah, ch- yeah. touched on Junpei. Obviously, the big performance in this game is Igus. Yeah, Karen Strassman. Fucking Nanako. Which, that... that Wait, I, she's Nanako? Yeah, I told, I fucking told you that before. I forgot. I'm sorry. Yeah, Persona 3 is a long game. Yeah, it's, but it's definitely wouldn't like... Because I didn't realize that until, like, oh I my looked God. it up and I was like... Wait, what? She did a voice in Persona 4? Well, she was fucking Nanako? That's cr- fucking crazy. 
And the thing is that amazing... Talent is the goddamn voice actress, dude. She's really talented, and, and for Igus, it's just... I love how she's able to actually sound like a robot, but yeah. without any voice filters or anything, but also a robot who has these emotions and then becomes yeah, yeah, less robotic. Yeah, yeah. like, her, God, her performance is so fucking good. And it's definitely something where, like, I, I haven't played the Japanese version of the game, obviously, but, like... I have I went on YouTube and just like like out of curiosity watched a bunch of scenes and then I've still like played portions of Persona 4 Arena with the Japanese voice track because it has it and like I wouldn't call Japanese I guess bad but her performance doesn't feel anywhere near as nuanced to me where like yeah. her her version of I guess the only way the only reason she and this is like a very Japanese language kind of thing but the only reason she seems like a robot is because she's very polite like you know she ends all of her sentences with like whatever like Deirimasu or whatever it is and you know that kind of surprises me because the the performance Karen Straussman is giving is a very Japanese style of voice acting where uh, yeah, I, you I, don't like this is a, this is an interesting thing for me I think is like let's let's take like English and Japanese Dragon Ball Z in Dragon Ball Z, the voice actors in Japan will always just, whatever that character needs, they will do it themselves in the booth. Like, Cell, that actor does each stage of Cell just through vo vocal changes, and it's mm -hmm. perfect. In English, they put on all these vocal filters and shit, and it, to me it sounds really terrible and forced. And I feel like what you would normally do in a, in a dub where you have a robot is the English person would just read their lines and they put a robot filter on it. Yeah. Instead, Karen Straussman does what's a much more Japanese style of thing to do, which she makes herself sound like a robot... And to me, that I think that's a much better style of performance. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that they the, the Japanese voice actor didn't go as far with that. Yeah, and then again, like this, I haven't like seen, but it's like, but I watched like her, like the whole sequence when they go to that island and they meet up with I guess. So that's like when she's supposed to be at her most robotic. Right. And, and there's definitely you don't like I felt like when I watched the Japanese cutscenes, like you didn't get that sense of character arc where like all the other characters. Seem just as good, like you know, like Japanese right. Junpei and and uh, Junpei's got a deep voice in Japanese. I saw. Yeah, yeah, he's got a pretty. It, it, but it's like it feels very appropriate for him. Like it's it's yeah. a, like all the other voice casting in Japanese is great, but yeah, in English, like I think the best performances are definitely it's I guess then Junpei and then I think like like uh, like Yukari, uh, Mitsuru, and Akiko are all like really good too. Like Those... they're not they're not phenomenal, but they're all. I think they're all pretty fast. Well, I, I would say not phenomenal in comparison to like I guess I think I okay, guess compare yes, yes. the two standouts. Right. It's like I wouldn't. I'm not criticizing the other performances at all. Like they're right. all really, really great. Like there's nothing. Yeah. There's no. I can put out any flaws, but it doesn't. necessarily like I don't like feel like holy shit. Like right. And I agree with that. Amazing performance. Uh, one one holy shit performance you're forgetting Takaya. Oh yeah, it's for, sorry, forgot. Yeah, he's that's one that starts out and you think it might just be a standard dub kind of voice, but then he gets fucking yeah, crazy. Yeah, he gets so crazy. Like I know. it's uh, and it's something that you just don't usually see. Like it just feels like a very creative performance that like you wouldn't normally see. Like he goes out there, dude. Oh, he does it's the awesome, and especially it really comes into its own in the Shinji death scene. Yeah, yeah, definitely so great. And then and then also like when you get to the end and he's oh, just shit. sort of like gives up he's like fuck it whatever man yeah. like, I don't care he's so great he's but so good we are I... forgetting the best performance in the whole game though what which is Igor <laughs> Igor's it's amazing to me that the dude who voiced Igor in Persona 3 is the same guy who voices him in Persona 4 because they said like it's the it's okay it's the same voice but it's a completely different performance Igor in Persona 3 is fucking nuts yes and I love it because I love how, you know, he has his whole spiel, he says, that is the same thing in Persona 3 and Persona 4 when you first meet him about, like, you are the holder of the wild card, you are zero, you are empty, and yet hold infinite possibilities. 
And then it's like, in, that's how he sounds in Persona 3, and then in Persona 4, it's, he's very calm and very, like, well, infinite possibilities, you know? Yeah. Persona 3, he's just, like, all over the place. Persona 3, I imagine there's, like, that elevator, like, it's just, there's toxins in it or something. Yeah. He's high. And then in the, in the, he's, I guess in Persona 4, he's, like, just drunk and kind of, like, laid back. He's been yeah. drinking whiskey all day. They're in that fucking limo. Yeah. I also love the image of the elevator. In the yeah, it is, it is really nice metaphorically when you mm-hmm. get to the end and like the elevator gets to its destination or whatever. And like, yep. Yeah, I love that. That's something that Persona 4 does really cool at the end too, but it hits even... Again, it's these things that Persona 4 takes from 3 but doesn't use quite as perfectly. Yeah, and it feels like like because it tied, the metaphor of like the elevator ties in so much better with the sense of Tartarus where you're ascending. Mm-hmm. And it's like that doesn't quite click until you get to the end, but yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Pretty great. And then so, other performances, like like you're talking about, uh, Igor reminds me Elizabeth. Oh, I love Elizabeth. Awesome. Elizabeth's fucking awesome. She's a great voice, and I like it, I, Elizabeth, Elizabeth is the other voice from what I've seen that I prefer the English actor actress a lot more than the Japanese one. Like, there's something super unique about the quality of English Elizabeth's voice. Like, she kind of has this like nasally, but not like annoying voice. Right. Like, I like Margaret in Persona Four, but Elizabeth's where it's at. Yeah, yeah. She's. I, such mean, a I mean, they're. I mean, they're kind of. It's just weird because it's kind of like the same difference between Igor and Persona Three and Persona Four, where like Elizabeth is just kind of fucking crazy yeah. and like, like really like not dumb, but like you know she doesn't know like anything about like the human world, so she's really naive. She probably really you at way. the end, yeah. And she's like, whereas like Margaret is this very proper young lady who's yeah. like you know sits there and gives like reads out her book or whatever, and you, you know you like get her to kiss you on the cheek. It's a culmination of your relationship with her if you do all the social link stuff. Right. But no, you. It seems like you have sex with. Yeah, that's it. Definitely, that is. It is the most implied sexual thing in the game. I feel. Yeah. If you go all the way with Elizabeth, it's like Chie and her fluffy muffler. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. kidding. I, I feel like you know. I I wouldn't. I definitely think the Persona Four Golden Dub is better on the whole in terms of. I, I agree. I think it's more even the than the original Persona Four Dub is. Like the average part, I think, is of a better quality. Well, every you talked about how which voices are like, oh my god, every voice in Persona yeah. Four Golden is, feel, oh yeah, my fucking god, they're all those are all like just completely unbelievable performances. Whereas here, it's like most of the performances, there's no real flaw in it, but it's like it's not like it's amazing, right? Um, but I definitely like I couldn't ever imagine you know Mitsuru or or Akihiko with other voices. They're yeah, still very good. So yeah. yeah. Um, so, you excited for the movie? Yeah, dude. I want to like and the it, animation in that trailer is great. Yeah, it's definitely like I like that they're making it into a movie. It feels very appropriate for yeah for this story. You know? Yeah, and probably a trilogy. Um, feels like that'll be the right way to do it. And I think yeah. it's also you know one of the best things about Persona Three is those animated cutscenes. The atmosphere to them is so phenomenal. Yeah. And I like how the movie trailer looks different, but still has that same kind of quality of yeah, really stylized yeah. and fascinating. I actually the poster for that movie I like so much. It's the wallpaper on my iPhone now. <laughs> nice. Yep. But uh, so here's a here's a question. Just you know, talking about now that we've both played the full game, where do you think Spring of Birth, the first movie, ends? Uh, probably. Um, I. Th- it's, it's been so long since I played that begin, beginning sections of the game. I don't quite remember, but I would, I would say it ends after you get Fuka and definitely before you meet Igus. Like, I, yeah. Igus is definitely going to be like part of the bigger thing in the second movie, right? And I guess you know what kind of could they make into a climax for that first movie that would really feel like you've had a movie and not just part one. When does when does Shinji die? I don't even remember. Uh, you don't have Igus yet, I don't think. Because Do if you don't have, it's like I said, it's been a really long time since I played this game. Like it's been almost a year now, yeah. so. Yeah, I think 
if if Shinji dies before you get, I guess that would be a pretty good place to leave right. off. I'm gonna look it up right now, really quick. Okay, but yeah, I I think then for two and three, I think there are more obvious places. Like, yeah, yeah. where would you end two? So you'd probably after like all the Akutsuki shit is right in two. Yeah, with them all crucified and yeah, yeah, like that's a pretty good climax for two. Yeah, because it would be kind of like the ending to let's say like an Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, it's it's the. It's the dark... I guess normally you'd call it the dark middle chapter, but shit gets way darker after that. But it's definitely right. darker than what came before. Yeah. You know, it's... it's I, I, would, I wish more trilogies had that, where it's like, you have the dark middle chapter, and then you have the seriously dark middle chapter, where it's like, Return of the Jedi, yeah. all the Ewoks get skinned or something. Okay, Shinji does die after Igus joins Seas. Okay. There's a long time where Igus is not particularly significant, so I Yeah, just, yeah. You could rejigger that, though, if they wanted to. Yeah, like, who knows? Like, the... Yeah. It seems like they're really putting a lot into this, though. Like, it's a, yeah. it looks like it's a pretty big release. It's getting a lot of promotion. It, that animation quality is way beyond what I th- was expecting. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about when that will ever make it over here, you know? Yeah. I'm just... I mean, it only took, like, I think a year for the some for the animation to get dubbed. I don't... If they ever finished the dubbing, I don't remember, but... No, it's all out. Okay. Both, both sets have been out for about a year now. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Um... So yeah, we'll see. Luckily, you know, Atlas and everyone over here is very receptive to Persona stuff. Yeah. We know. Uh, and either way, you know, who knows? There's a lot I've seen Japanese Blu-rays, most of them these days, have English subtitles. So it would be easy to import that one over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited for that. But Persona 3, man, I think we've pretty much covered what we wanted to cover for this. Yeah, segment. I mean, there's there's one there's one thing I was thinking about that I didn't, I'm not even sure if you noticed this, but... And it's, it's the one thing, it's just like definitely the thing when I realized that the Persona 3 Portable did not have the animated cutscenes when I was thinking about the ending, that I was like, fuck that, is that the last, the very last cutscene of the game... Oh, the butterfly. The butterfly, and did you notice, I, in that cutscene, I guess is human. She's not, she does not have the robotic paraphernalia on anymore. She's just wearing noticed- a normal... Gecko can high school costume, and that's like she has ears. Like she doesn't have like the weird ear things anymore. She's just a human girl. I guess I subconsciously noticed that because I knew she looked different, and I saw that her eyes, in particular, because that's the last yeah. shot, is her eye tearing up, looked different. But I didn't notice she was human. Yeah, in that. yeah. Because I that's I it's such a beautiful little touch because that whole last cutscene, you know, it's so dreamlike because it's all like right. just this like white background and her just. I assume she's still a robot when you meet back up in the answer yeah yeah it's not like she's it's, she didn't literally turn into a human right. but it's like it's conveying she has like and you that, know what? That, that moment is what makes her realize her her humanity even though yeah. I think she had become human before that point right. just like when she realizes I have these emotions like I, I am effectively human well, and you I know am what like I, these people and I think that may have contributed to my reading of that ending uh, the one I had is that you know that that is the ultimate moment of her humanity because even if I didn't notice that that's that, that she was human there, I definitely noticed there was a difference there. Yeah. She was made whole by this. Um, well, I have, so, yeah. I have, I have a read, way darker way of reading that of like that is the only way you become human is once you've experienced like a true affecting loss. Well, I think that's that's yeah. my reading too, but yeah. I guess I just I saw like that when you, you you become human when you experience a loss, not when you come to terms with it. That's right. my reading. Oh, okay, yeah, and I think. And either way, yeah, I, but I think that is the ultimate test of humanity either way. Yeah. So, yeah, what a fucking a great de- game. A detail that Persona 3 Portable does not have. And that's no. why I shall ever 
shall forever refer to it as the soulless version of Persona 3. And I agree. I really regretted yeah. my decision to play it that way by the by the middle. It was just like, ah, oh, this is not the right way to be playing this. And I, I considered, I actually started a playthrough on the PS3 again, um, and got and because just it's fun to play that first hour because yeah, it's so the amazing. beginning of that game is fucking crazy. It's, it's awesome. so great. Um, but yeah, so it's good. Talk about social links. How many did you finish on your playthrough? Uh, well, I, it's, it's easier to say which ones I didn't finish. I didn't finish the monks one. I didn't finish Bebe's. I didn't finish. I almost finished Mitsuru's. I like I got like eight or nine with her, and I didn't finish Yuko's. And because I didn't finish Yuko's, that's why I never even got the monks, because you have to get hit, do that to get his. Right. But I think those are the only ones I didn't finish. Yeah, there were four for me also. I was pretty sure I was going to be able to complete everything. I, and was I was pretty sure you weren't. You were all like, every time we talked about the game, you were all like, yeah, I'm going to get all of them. But I, when I wasn't counting, I could have if it weren't for the Igus social link, and so I don't regret it. I told that's but, exactly what I told you. I told you, no, dude, you get the Igus social link in January, like, and you have to spend like all of January basically on yeah. it. Yeah, and you didn't fucking believe me. I told you exactly that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was, and all the ones I didn't complete were like at seven, eight, nine. Yeah. But yeah, most like, of them I got like. And you know what? Fucking stupid. I liked the Yuko social link okay. I actually was enjoying it. But that social link is damn near impossible to finish because is hers it? by far takes the longest time. And I don't know why. But it was the same on my Fest playthrough too. And so I pushed her back when I played Portal because I just realized this fucking bitch takes forever to social link with. <laughs> At Like once you get to five, you have to do two off social links with her before you oh, can get geez. another fucking event. Every time. And you know what? The, the I don't know why. The temple stuff doesn't count to Yuko. You do it and you still go back to her and she still wants you to hang out once without actually having an event. So you have to... Yuko like, takes like 30 fucking times hanging out with to yeah, complete I her 10-episode social I link. never really... Got drawn to Yuko. I, I liked I liked the librarian like Chico just, a lot more. I know, and I realized it occurred, and that's why I didn't finish too. And I realized, you know, at a certain point, like in December, it's like if I had ditched, if I had never tried Yuko, I could have probably completed every other social link but her because she is such a time suck, and I don't know why she's the only social link that's like that. It's annoying, Fucking Yuko man. Yeah. And again, Yuko's social link is good. I just don't think... It, it's not great, but it's good. And I actually... I really enjoyed the social links throughout in this game. I was thinking... I, I agree that they are better integrated in Persona 4, and on, on the whole, they are of better quality. Particularly what Persona 4 does is there are not as many social links that feel like they are there for padding. Yeah. Like, in, in a normal 10-episode social link in Persona 4, every every episode feels substantive. Not in every social link. Yeah, like every once in a while there's like one or two where it doesn't move forward, but for most of them it feels yeah. like, yeah, these are all important. Right. Um, and I feel like in Persona 3 there's a lot that are a little more padded, but even then I think the writing on them is so good. And there are some that just sneak up on you, like the uh, Gourmet King one. But yeah. the end is really great. Yeah. I think there's some other ones like that. And I love Tanaka's that is so creative and it's weird. Yeah. And, and the Tanaka's un- is so creepy. It's yeah. just this so unpleasant, this weird undercurrent of like, why is this old businessman hanging out with like this, like pretty boy, fifteen year old high school and kid? I, and at I and I night. I love I love Tanaka's ending. Yeah, where he's like arrested, but he puts his show back on the air anyway. Yeah, so that's great. Um, maybe Tanaka can play a bigger role in Persona Five. Yeah, it'll be all like Tanaka will be the main character. Yes, he will be the number zero. Yeah, he he gets his persona. I'd love to see Tanaka. His with persona's him. a big yin. Like a, like a just like a one hundred yen coin or whatever. Nice, but yeah. Um, 
And then the other one that kind of snuck up on me that I think is great, and you didn't get the chance to play it, so if you even if you just want to watch it on YouTube, it's fantastic, is the Unusual Monk one. Mm. That just, the writing on that one is so fucking good, and it speaks to the, the Atlas localization team that they can make the, you know, a translation read that fucking beautifully. But his is just, there's so much, I feel like, layers to it of just this bitter old man who has nothing to live for he kind of hates everything but it's not it doesn't feel stereotypical mm-hmm. it feels like he's really but he's also a monk at the same time it's yeah. really interesting and then the way it goes and he never really what he's socially he grows and develops but it never betrays who he is when you first meet him and you learn you know all the stuff about his family it's really great but yeah yeah I'm definitely going to want to I'm going to do a replay through a Persona 3 Fest sometime relatively soon probably to yeah 100% it the way I did yeah. Would you do it as a new game plus? Yeah, I probably would. Yeah. So, interesting, but but damn good game. Yeah. That's, it's, it's like saying any qualitative statement about Persona Three isn't enough. We don't yeah. have words in the English language for what this thing is. Yeah, it's so fucking good, dude. It's just again, I nothing had made me confront death the way this game did, and nothing made me get to a point of catharsis the way this yeah. game did. Where I, for the first time in my life, after finishing Persona Three, I could I can think about death now. And think about what I learned playing this game and the experiences I had emotionally playing it and not be be scared, but not in the same way I was before. Yeah. Like, you really do feel like the game changed me and I I think there are other pieces of media that I've experienced in my life that have changed me, but not to that degree on something so fundamental yeah. and, and huge. And, boy, I, I you know, I couldn't, couldn't say what that means to me anymore. It's just so great and... I'm excited for Persona 5. Yeah, yeah. So like, hopefully hopefully that gets announced soon. I feel, I feel like there have been like a lot of rumblings that that maybe get revealed at TGS this year. So That's pretty great. Yeah. Um, do you think Persona 5 will be kind of like another Persona 3 where they take the series in a new direction? Because it's been a I long so. time. Yeah, like I think especially if this Persona 4, new Persona 4 Arena thing is a sequel to Persona 4 Arena, it would not make any sense to me that they would like tie themselves to the old entries in any other way I think that it would be like they would want to do something with like all new characters different themes and do something different with it yeah I'm wondering will it even do you think it'll even have the same basic social link system and stuff uh, like I think that probably yeah because yeah. I did, I think they hit because you know Persona 1 and the 2's don't have social linking in them at all and I feel like with with Persona 3 and 4 they or the, I guess just Persona 3 they hit on something so perfect for a gameplay system for what they're trying to do that they may like throw a wrench in it like try to like change it up in some way but I think the same basic structure of having social links and then having like combat dungeon sections I think that would still exist yeah I'd be surprised if they yeah like it's like the social links are just such a genius game mechanic to me I don't know why you would mess with it too much I'll just say if there's you know a gap between when it comes out in Japan and here that'll be a torturously long wait yeah no kidding Normally, I don't, you know, get tortured waiting for things like that. If it were out there in the world, though, and it wasn't in English yet, oh god! And I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to pull off some a, a relatively simultaneous release. But yeah, I, mean, I don't think it would be a long time because Persona, no. like with each successive Persona, Persona release since three, the series has gotten more and more and more popular because word of mouth is just so good. Yeah, that with like Persona Four, the Golden, it's like you know. Like, people make fun of, like, with the Vita, there's, oh, there's no killer apps. Like, Persona 4 The Golden is the must-have game for the Vita, even if it is a remake of a PS2 game, but it's a fucking great remake. Well, it's it's such a substantial remake. Yeah. Saying remake doesn't give it enough credit. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's something so good that even, that I even have to 
by playing it probably like seven or eight months after I played the original game, still had a fantastic experience. Right. So, yeah, it's the yeah. definitive version of that game. Yeah, I definitely think so. so. And as of now, the definitive version of Persona 3 is fast. Yeah, Remember that if you want to play it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, if you have absolutely no other way to play the game, like, obviously, like, it'd be better to play portable than not to play it at all. But, like, I would say fast, like, is definitely... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fuck, even if you don't want to, you know, get a PS3 for it, you know, you can probably find a PS2 for 20 bucks and Fest for 10 Yeah. You know, get that, easy enough. But, yeah. Uh, so, yes, I, I, I look forward to now getting back in the car and continuing to listen to the Persona 3 soundtrack, which is basically all I've been doing musically since I finished the game. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely, like... I have been going through a cycle of just listening to Persona music for, like, a year now. Because I have so much Persona music that every time I get bored, and it's such a broad different style of music, that every time I get bored of, like, one, I'm like, eh, I'm going to listen to the Persona 4 Arena soundtrack now. It's like, ah, I'm going to listen to the Persona 2 soundtrack now. Isn't that one of the most exciting things about Persona 5 that will get more Shoji Meguro music? That's one of the most exciting things about the fucking movie. There's going to be new original music. There's, There's a new song in that trailer, so... It's fucking great. I'll have another new soundtrack to add to my like list of some 700 songs now. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we'll be talking Gamescom, whatever else comes up. PS4, Xbox One, motherfucking video games. Yep. Uh, completely unlike what we've been talking about up till now. Yes. Change of pace coming your way. Yep. <laughs>